What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. It's episode 94. Uh, today, I am finally, I uh, finally been able to drag on uh, a sailor who, longtime listener, uh, the Reddit people will be very familiar with her um, as one of the moderators of our Navy. And uh, she's a, an outstanding human being and leader, and I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, we've been interacting with a long for a long time about like leadership development issues, and I helped her with some stuff that she encountered at her last command. And we get into all of that, but uh, I'm really excited for this one. It gives a lot of really great perspective on what it's like to be uh, a female sailor in a like a male dominated organization, but also rating and and uh, some of her experiences in that regard. Um, and just some incredible perspective on a lot of leadership issues and I was super fun. So I really hope you enjoy this. Check it out. In lieu of ever having a sponsor, I've basically created my own. If you want to support us, go to dgutsapparel.com. Don't give up the ship apparel. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Dguts Apparel. Uh, it's Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. I went out of my way to create some really awesome stuff that I think you'll really enjoy. And it's some stuff that I think you'll actually wear. Uh, I hate all the stuff in the Navy Exchange section. I hate a lot of the stuff I see on social media where some somebody's side hustle is creating like nauseating gear that no one actually wants except for like crusty old retirees, which I'm about to be. So I don't know if I should uh, talk smack, but anyway, uh, go check it out. Dgutsapparel.com. If you want to support us, that's the best way to do it. And I would really appreciate it. Cause we can start like right here where we'll just talk about her and keep it moving since we already started going down a rabbit hole. Okay. Solid. So actually I had this whole debate i've been asking my husband repeatedly like do i how do i do this interview um yeah he was like just do it as the benny jester witch like just go ahead and and do it as Uh, okay right so um yeah because i've got right there's three pieces of information about me that i'm very public about on reddit and i'm planning on talking to you about those same three things so um, okay. That will that will dox me straight away, right? So I'm a senior first class HT one. Um, I'm a woman and I'm dual military, um, and those are those are three issues or three situations where there's a lot of issues that I've run into in the Navy. Um, you know, just being a woman in a male dominated community, um, being dual military, trying to balance work life. All of yeah. all of those are factors. Right. And anybody with fleet temps can dox me. Like I've had people um, yeah, look me up and yeah. send me like their command coins. <laughs> um, and yeah, people do that it, with me where like, yeah, they joke and they're like, uh, they'll tell me like, oh, it's not real hard to figure out who you are. And I'm like, I, I'm not hiding. Like I, I understand, like I don't put my name and face on it. And I mean, my face is effed up right now, but that's another story for another time, kids. Maybe I'll post it on Instagram. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Um, the, like, I, I don't put my name and face on it for a lot of reasons. And it's like, part of it is that is the privacy thing, but it's just cause I like, I just don't want to be like Navy known and, you know, like, um, right now, but like, I'll put my face on it after I retire. I'm still probably never going to put my name on it, even though like I'm, I'll be looser with telling people what my name is. Um, it's just in conversations and stuff because it's just like a, I don't, what's the, who cares? Like who cares what my actual name is? Cause it's not about me. And that was kind of the framing, but yeah, I've had people like get on fleet temps and like, uh, figure out who I was real quick and like send me an well, email on my like 
dot mill account and i'm like okay like cool like do you feel I, like I, you did. I, I mean like, i didn't i didn't email you but i looked you up because i was at a yeah. sub command when i was first introduced to you and there were like yeah. five cs senior chief or master chiefs and i was like i wonder if i'm on the same basis so i looked you up um but yeah. yeah it wasn't because you're the only cs there's, yeah. with a there's not many of us school instructor so yeah, yeah there's not many of us no, and that's actually, I looked up, um, my dad is a little bit out of date. I don't, I haven't looked this up recently, but there's, I think last time I looked, there were 18 HT1 women in the Navy and there's about a thousand HT1s. Mm -hmm. So, wow. um, yeah, I'm, I'm when actually at my most recent command, when I checked in, um, my section leader was like doing the, you know, the basic, like you taking care of your family's good to go. And I was, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm dual mill. My yeah. husband's got the kids. Like this is. And he goes, I got you. And he immediately, <laughs> he was like, you're, you're on Reddit. And I was like, oh, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's That's weird. There's like a little, like a, my, my online reputation is very different from who I am in real life. Um, well, mm -hmm. maybe not really very different, but people assume things of me because of what I say and post on Reddit, um, which isn't yeah. always necessarily you know, it's not the real me. It's a facet of who I am, but it's not all of me. So, um, yeah, you know, and then like there's people will send me screenshots of stuff on like the first class Facebook groups where they're like they're talking about me. Like, are you are you in this group? Are you watching the threads? Um, <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I do see you guys. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to comment because then, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a wrap. So, uh, yeah. So all that to say, we're just going to do the interview um as the benny jesser witch and then uh if anybody connects the dots then oh well i guess um okay yeah <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so i guess my history um i enlisted in 2004 i ran battle stations on my 19th birthday in uh 05 in boot camp um I'll list my ships in size order so i've been on two lhds a tender a floating dry dock a cruiser, a destroyer, and two tugboats. Um, Good most Lord. of my career has been in Seventh Fleet. Um, spent a decade in Japan, did all the major ports: um, yeah. Guam, Norfolk, San Diego, Chicago. Um, said my, you know, dual mill. My husband's an AT1. Um, we have two kids and a corgi, and that's <laughs> that's it. That's me awesome um so we were talking like we already kind of started and unless you want to start with something else hang on my dogs are um, my dogs are ridiculous um unless you want to start with something else we kind of already started going down the complaint uh rabbit hole of like talking about um i forget her name ahmed something uh, yeah sarah ahmed sarah ahmed yeah which like i I don't know. Like I always thought it was interesting and I immediately thought about um, the uh, like on my first chief's tour, I had a cob that uh, he would he would investigate everything. And when I say investigate, I mean like a preliminary inquiry and like um, go down the the rabbit hole of like uh, investigating everything that that rose above like like lower level adjudication. Right. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, like 
this is ridiculous. Like, cause I had something happen with one of my first or one, one of my, uh, second classes where, uh, like he did something and me and the department chief, uh, from the other kids department, like we like handled it in our, like w- amongst ourselves. Um, or so we thought. And then, uh, when he found out about it, he kind of freaked out, yelled at us and then did an investigation. And we're like, why? Like both of us were confused. And he sat us down and explained to us why it was a big deal. And uh, it was just basically like the So what had happened? It was like they were effectively horseplaying um, and just being stupid. And it like but also it could be interpreted as assault what actually happened. And so like he was basically explaining to us, like, look, if something like this happens, like we want to handle it at the lowest level and we want people to not get in trouble because we like care about these people or whatever. But also there's a thing that happened. And if somebody decides to complain or somebody else decides to go outside the lifelines of the command or whatever, like you have to go like kind of detach yourself from it and go down this like impartial investigative path so that if it ever comes up again, we can say, look, we did the investigation. Here's all the evidence. We came to this conclusion. It went to whatever level based on based on that inquiry um, and then got adjudicated by the actual chain of command, like the people with actual authority. Um, and so like when he was done explaining it, it made a ton of sense to me. And I was just like, oh, this may, this is it's like very impartial and fair. And like this is the this is kind of what it should be all the time. Like with everything, it's like mm-hmm. whenever there's a, a complaint or an issue or whatever, and it rises above, which, you know, uh, we could have a discussion about where's the line, but like when it rises above, like, okay, somebody was late to work. Like we don't need to do a preliminary inquiry on somebody being late to work, but when it rises above the threshold of like minor stuff, um, that was his his answer to everything was like okay assign a preliminary inquiry and we'll go figure out what happened gather all the information and evidence and do the interviews and whatever and sometimes that would be where it stopped would be like okay we we looked into it we did all this investigation and whatever and got all the evidence did all the interviews and there was no like wrongdoing even though like it appeared there was but there wasn't or you know, like it would go down the path of like DRB or XOI or MAST. And so like, I don't know, it, like when she was explaining it, I was just like, oh, this is what he what he was trying to accomplish was fixing this type of a problem. And it didn't apply to everything. Obviously, this was mainly like disciplinary stuff. But uh, and, and I would like to think that if like an equal opportunity thing or sexual harassment thing had come up, that he would have treated it very similarly. I, like, I think he would have. But I just I don't remember there ever being a case like that. But but well, yeah, it's, like it's when really she was explaining it, that sorry, I cut you off there. So actually, yesterday we were at um, we were at a one of my husband's coworkers' house, and he had mentioned that the Navy just released a message saying, like, mm-hmm. if there's sexual harassment cases, right, the investigation is being taken out of the commanding officer's hands. Right, the commanding officer no longer has to to investigate. Well, it's actually an all nav because yeah, I was I like, no way, and I went that. to look it up, and okay. I was like, it's not, it's not in the the um, yeah, the normal that. normal uh, nav admins. It's a it's an all nav note that came out. So yeah, I think I saw like a but, headline randomly on like a USNI thing or something, but yeah. Yes, so so the like the too long didn't read version is that the. It has to go to the next level above the CO, but it can't be in the chain of command. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it's a subron, 
So if it's a command under Subron, it'll go to Subron and then it'll go over to like a Desron level investigator. Okay. Um, and like, it sounds excessive, but I was at a command where there was major inappropriate sexual harassment that ended up with two sailors being um, assaulted, one of them very violently. And, um, mm. you know, talking, I sent you information on, um, or I guess is one of like my bullet points on the continuum of harm, right? So we yeah. we allow small behaviors and we maybe investigate them and, oh, we don't want to ruin somebody's career or it's not that bad or all of those things that Sarah Ahmed was talking about on um, what happens when you make a complaint in an institution, right? So taking that out of the CO's hands, I think, um, or out of the command's hands, I think is maybe the right move. I honestly think it should be done by someone entirely out of the Navy, given our absolute abysmal history of dealing with sexual assault, sexual harassment cases. Um, we can get to that yeah. in a minute. Um so, yeah, see, she talks, about, I think the one quote from Sarah Ahmed that really kind of like struck a nerve with me, right, was when you raise awareness about a problem, you become the problem. And and I think that's, yeah, that's really what happens if you say like, hey, this, this, even though the Navy's policy is sexual harassment will not be tolerated, right? If you say, man, there's this person who's making inappropriate jokes at work, then you become the problem. And, and actually I just, <laughs> this happened at work a couple of days ago and it was such a big deal that a couple of the sailors came up and asked me afterwards, like, are you offended HD one? So we were in the office and, um, a couple of the guys were like, just talking trash. And one of them said something to the effect of, mm -hmm. uh, you might need to flag this cause you're going to have to edit me. But he basically was like, like bleep it. Go ahead. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, he's like, you you can lick my i'm not doing that shit right so the there was an officer in the room and he he immediately to his credit he immediately tried to stop that and he said that's not appropriate guys you can't talk that way there's a lady sitting right behind me ah so, all right so he started off how on about you just note. how about you just can't talk like that the end like exactly but yeah i mean don't get me wrong there. like I got a mouth on me, but like, I also learned that, you know, there's a time and place and whatever. But, right. Right. Well, and I mean, like, so I, yeah. the guys asked me, they were like, are you offended? I was like, do you not hear me talk? Like, do you not hear me say very similar things? Yeah. Right. Like not offended. Yeah. And they're like, well, he made it sound like, you know, you were offended. And I was like, first of all, I was sitting right there. Like you could have seen my face. I wasn't offended. Right. But, but really what upset me about the whole thing was that he made me the problem. Right. He said, you can't exactly. do that yeah. because she's here, right? Not you can't do that. Once you cap right. that the behavior, you you approve of it, right? That behavior is okay, right. except for in these conditions, right? So, right, um, you know, and he's he's actually a, a great guy, and I know him from a previous command. Yeah, um, and I and I thought about talking to him a about lot of it offline, but I was like, man, at this point, I don't even. Yeah. Want to <laughs> a, a lot of that happened with female enlisted on submarines like everybody freaked out and what was hilarious about it is like we took a bunch of I got to kind of see both sides because I had female officers on my last boat permanently assigned and then and they were just like part of the crew like we were cool with them we joke around with them like they fit right in they're submariners like it, it, we we acted the same um, and then when we we at the last deployment I did we took female enlisted underway Cause they, and they were from a, another submarine that just, they, they needed to get calls done and they were in the shipyard. 
So they came underway with us and it was like we had to like the cop briefed everybody. Don't act stupid. Don't do that. Like, you know, what I mean, it turned into this big thing. And I'm like, there's been women on board this entire time. Like, why do you think this is going to be different? And mm-hmm. what was hilarious was really quickly after they all got on board, you kind of real realized the same thing. Like they were just like, yo, we're submariners. Shut up. Like, like this is not like we had a senior chief come underway and, and she was upset that she couldn't sleep in the chief's quarters with everybody else. She's like, I'm a grown up. I'm not worried. Like, you know what I mean? Like she was mad because they made her sleep somewhere else. And so she would just hang out in there with us all the time. And she would come in and like use the head, uh, even though she wasn't supposed to technically, <laughs> But it was ridiculous because they came on board and they're just like, what is it? Like, why are you guys acting stupid? Because they'd been on a submarine with dudes this whole time and they just integrated and they're just submariners and treat us like you treat everyone else. And that's what was so bizarre about it, because we had a CS come underway and she's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Uh, and when she came underway, it was like I, I went into it thinking to myself, like, what are going to be the unique needs here? Like, how is this going to change? my leadership approach, like how's it going to change the dynamic of the division? How's it, how's anything going to change? And what I found as soon as I met her, what I figured out pretty quickly, thank God, because then I didn't do anything weird was or like make her uncomfortable or whatever was like, she had the like almost identical needs almost uh, to everyone else in my division. Like it's just leadership. It's just me mm-hmm. interacting with her and meeting her needs as I would anyone else's from a leadership perspective. Um, and what was funny was she was like the top performer or like she was, she was a beast. Like my LPO is a monster too. So like they were probably neck and neck, but she was, she just was, had an insatiable drive, wanted to qualify everything, wanted to learn everything. And so it was like, yeah, she couldn't get enough of, and and like she would regulate on those clowns too. Like she would like, and I empowered her to do it as soon as I see her doing it. I'm like, don't take no shit, Mac. But, uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was it was cool. And so like I learned that like immediately um, that it wasn't it was it was stupid to treat them differently and it created more problems mm-hmm. than it solved. Like, you know, what I mean, like it was just I don't know. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the one that's lived it like I have no idea. But I, like in from my perspective as a leader and based on our interactions and like she I've stayed really close with her and I continue to mentor her um, as she's progressed with her career. But like it it seemed to work really well when I just like and I, I I hesitate to say like treated her like one of the guys. I just treated her like I would anyone else that I was charged with leading. You know what I mean? And and it seemed to work really well. Well, yeah, because when you when you're isolated and you're not a part of the team, um, you know, mm-hmm. same but different. Right. Then right. you feel that you 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 feel that you're not valued that you're not wanted to be there that you're different and you don't belong and and there have been many times throughout my career where i have felt that the navy has been made for me not to belong like structured institutional policies for me not to belong for me to not be a part of the navy um and it it's you know if we go i guess this is a good segue into the second little block here but if we go all the way back looking. So I consider a generation in the Navy to be about 30 years, right? So if you do a full 30 Mm -hmm. years, um, right. Right. So if we go back about 60 years, so two generations ago, um, Mm -hmm. women, there was, there was actually a, a, 
federal law on the books that said women were not allowed to be in positions where they could command men. That was actually a really big concern when they opened up the ranks to women that they would be put in charge of men. Um, And and that was a fear that so, so now when we see headline in articles about like first female captain of a carrier, right, that's a big deal because she was literally forbidden from doing that two generations ago. Um, I mean, she wasn't even allowed on a warship until 97, right? Uh, 90, I think it was Not a little yet, earlier some, yeah, than some, that. 92, was it? Okay. 93. Yeah, actually, it was a direct okay. result of Tailhook, which we'll get into that in a minute. So in, okay. in the 70s, right, women couldn't have dependents and continue to serve. Women couldn't be married and, and be in the military, um, couldn't have kids. So actually, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, there was an Air Force colonel that got pregnant uh, she was stayed over in Vietnam and she wanted to mm-hmm. fly back to the States, have her baby and then continue serving. And the Air Force said, nope, you're pregnant yeah. and kicking you out. And um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg tried to try to take wild. that to court. And when the Air Force found yeah. out that she was going to like take this case, they immediately changed the policy. Um, so uh, wow. they allowed they allowed her to have her baby, give it up for adoption and then come back and stay on service. Um, so that it wasn't until the 70s, late 70s, that they allowed um, pregnant women to stay in the military. So now when we're talking about, you know, you look over the last 10 years where we've had all of these major changes to our maternity policy, which maybe you haven't followed, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it doesn't directly impact you. But a like little. They've, yeah. They've <laughs> had I was a lot more involved <laughs> at the at the A school. I was a lot more involved in trying to understand everything from like mm-hmm. female hair policy to like that pregnancy policy and stuff like that because like i had ins- i had a largely it, my staff was i mean 75 percent female so like i just had a like a lot to learn that was the first time i had served with uh with women at that level and then i had we had a like our student population was like 60 percent female probably so it was just mm-hmm. there was a lot of focus on it back then but like since then i probably haven't stayed that as up to date as i <laughs> as i, I mean, should I- um, so I ended my sea duty before I was able to get fully qualified. Uh, okay. Um, and then they sent me to a little clinic, um, where I was yeah. an LPO of medical records. And like, if you look at my, e- they actually told me at my debrief, they were like, you're an HT in a Corman community. Corman don't advance. Like you are here to keep our, um, reporting seniors cumulative average low. Like that was my eval debrief. <laughs> Like just that's a punch rough. to the gut. Yeah. Like, okay, that's going to really yeah. set me up for <laughs> advancement. Well, um, and like, that's what's weird is I went down that rabbit hole a little bit with, I had a female instructor that she had just made chief while she was pregnant. And it was a complicated pregnancy where she was on bed rest for a long period of time, like in the hospital on bed rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we, and I mean, we like went and pinned her anchors and stuff while she was in the hospital. I remember and, uh, you talking about that in a previous episode. Yeah. And she was one of those like she and I, she, like the nurses told her she couldn't get out of bed. And when we walked into Penner, she was standing up with her khakis on like she was just a beast. I love her. And uh, but she we had her eval to write and she for I mean, it was for months she was in the hospital and then she gave birth and then she was on leave. So, I mean, there's like five months of that reporting mm-hmm. period. And, where and how, she do you, how do you encapsulate that? Yeah. Right. And that's what and, I, w- I went. 
I, I spent a ton of time researching that and talking to people and figuring it out, like saying, hey, how do I at the very least make sure this doesn't adversely impact her? Like, I don't want anybody to be able to read between the lines and judge her like negatively because almost like there's like an implied um, laziness or like documented mm-hmm. undocumented performance or whatever. I didn't want there to be any gray area. So what we ended up doing was reporting on the performance that she did have and then putting it in as like we because and I had to argue this point with our admin officer about like I put it in as like leave tem do whatever and that she was um that she was like I, I forget what the because it's leave tem do and something else uh but like that gap of time like that it the eval, even though it was for a full reporting period, was essentially only reporting on five months because she was on leave. She was on convalescent leave. Mm-hmm. And so they you I plugged that in on the front and then she had a PRT waived for the whatever the code is for um when someone's pregnant. And then uh there was something else we did where it was like it we met, went out way out of our way to like make sure that at the very least because it's still Cause then, cause then when you're done, like, okay, so we made sure she can't get punished for the fact that the five months of that wasn't, she wasn't actually doing her job by no fault of her own, but it's like, but then it's like, she also wasn't doing her job for five months. So it's like, she didn't get to progress and Mm -hmm. be in the position and do the things and qualify the things and do everything else that everyone else was doing. So it's like, just by virtue of non-participation by no fault of her own, she's behind. And right. so that's what sucks. It's like I I can't that I yeah, can't, can't fix, fix that. that and it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't feel fair, but it's also like I don't know what I'm supposed to do either, you know. Well, as someone who's on been on the receiving end of that eval, it it doesn't feel fair, but also, you know, what are you supposed to do? Like I mean, I went out of my way at yeah. that command to get qualified CDO for the base. Um, which wasn't even yeah. in my command. Um I did every quality right. could. And you know, it's a at a hospital or clinic, um you know, they wouldn't let me drive the ambulance. They would, because, you know, you have to be EMT qualified to be on that crew. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't really do any watches. There was nothing. They, we didn't even have a first class association. So I participated in my husband's first class association. So I, I tried to do yeah. all of the, um, the, like, let me help my eval out things. But um, I just, you, you can't, there's, that's just not an option sometimes. Yeah. And, um, even though like it wasn't an adverse eval, it's definitely when you look at my eval progression, it's like, Oh, what happened there? And it instantly, anytime I take right. you know, my stuff to get reviewed for the board, it's like, Oh, you need to address that. I was like, well, how do I address that? How do I say I had a, a family planning medical condition? I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know how to yeah. address it. So, and I, I've had a couple different people give me some verbiage some have said to just not even address it at all and just let it slide i don't know um i mean yeah it's so, the but if you're always like, and and i don't think you should have to address it because there should be a way to address it built into the evaluation system i would think mm-hmm. where it's almost well, like yeah that because anytime there's ambiguity it's going to be right you know, well so is there coding for it though like yeah, you actually get a pregnancy um, NEC. So yeah, as long as that's reported on, but even then, if it's not still displayed on your PSR, 
then I don't know that it would get read the way it needs to, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like because when you're review, you spend the prime, like the majority of your time reviewing evals and like all your NECs are displayed on your PSR. But if that's like a, an NEC that is only active while you're in like on those orders, I don't know if it stays like I, I don't, I've never encountered it, so I'm not sure. But like, I don't know if it I would be just like right now, if you looked at your PSR, if it's not there and then during those evals, it's there's nothing on the eval that says anything about your NECs unless you earned one and you just reported on, hey, I earned this NEC. So it's like there's at what point not like now, if I was on the board reviewing your record, would I see anything that explained it, which is ridiculous because it should it should there should be something that I like makes it like absolutely clear like hey this is what happened here you know what i mean like that doesn't because people right, the people then, reviewing your record aren't wrong in the right you know they're not wrong they're not wrong for noting that like there's a quote observable decline in performance because i went from being well there, yeah there's you know, just a question mark like what not, happened right? here so but, yeah but there's also like now you're getting into talking about a, a sailor's medical condition Right. So pregnancy is actually by, yeah. by definition, by the OPNAV, pregnancy is a temporary curable medical condition. That's that's how the Navy terms it. Right. But then <laughs> if they code it as like like I'm on Limdu, like it, I, I don't need to know you were pregnant. I just need to know that it was a medical thing so that it's you know what I mean? Like well, I, I didn't get pulled off sea duty because I was avoiding sea duty or because it was a disciplinary thing or because of whatever. Where I took it down a ladder wheel because I just didn't like, want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, something like I had a cue. Well, yeah, if, if you look story. at, you um, know, talking about the the, you know, the history, I said we have to look back at at women in the Navy and kind of that progression, right? Yeah. In the seventies, um, no more than two percent of the armed forces could be women. Right. So when I joined in, you know, the early two thousands, we were at like four to six percent women. So if you look at four to six percent of the overall military force or Navy force um, in 2000 going now, 20 years later, what percentage of that, I mean, what percentage of sailors make Master Chief, right? It's like less than one percent. Yeah, like one, less than one. So less than one percent of four percent of the Navy is is make it you know, made it in 2000 to be master chief right now. So, so we don't have women in position to influence these policies and to say like, no, we don't need to give a woman 18 weeks of maternity leave. That's excessive. And it's going to be detrimental to her career. Right. Or six weeks, six weeks coming back to work at six weeks, you could still be, you know, bleeding and having horrible, you know, complications especially if you had a c-section you know like birth is not a a traumatic event and you're expecting a sailor to come back and work you know up until up until i think it was the early 2000s women would stay on sea duty until their third trimester and then they would fly off be tad somewhere have the baby and then six weeks postpartum they would fly them back to the ship so i know a number of women (sighs) who who at six weeks like had to find somebody to take their kid so that they could go back to the ship right yeah. Now, now they we get a year of like you're on shore duty for a year to adjust, and that's that's yeah 
incredibly helpful because childcare is terrifying, especially as a new mother. Like yeah. it, it turns into a cold cash deal. Like I'll throw you some money if you make sure my kid doesn't die. Right. Like let's hope you don't abuse <laughs> them or kill them or neglect them. You know, like yeah. here's my kid. I'm going back to work. Like that's, that's hard. It's scary to leave your baby yeah. with somebody, even if it's at the CDC and there's cameras everywhere. Like I, I didn't want to leave my right, kid and right. go back to work. Um, oh yeah. I talked duty, to my, we don't even have kids. Yeah, but me and my wife talk about that all the time. Like just the idea of like school or like mm-hmm. daycare or whatever. I'm like, I don't like the idea of my hypothetical kid spending more time with other adults than they do with me. Like that that is terrifying. And it then is. like, yeah, all the other just the perceived risks of them not being with me so that I can keep them safe. And I don't even have kids and I'm not a fan of that concept. We had we had a bomb threat at the school a couple uh, or a gun threat a couple weeks ago and I was I was furious mm-hmm. because there was no like notification for some reason I had off work that day. It was like a Friday and I dropped my son yeah. off and I got stuck in this drop off line. It took an hour and I was like, this is crazy. Cause normally I drop him off at yeah. uh, before and after school care. And then they, they take him, they bust him over. Um, and it, we, we were in line for an hour and then I, I left the school and I was, you know, going to check in Facebook and it said, um, you know, we're doing a, a security drill. And then I got into one of the mom groups and they were like, yeah, some kids said they were bringing their dad's gun into school. So they had to search every backpack. And I was like, why did they not oh, wow. email or because if, if they had said, yeah. like, hey, hey, we've got we've got this issue at school. I would have kept my son home. No questions. Like, let's we're going to yeah. have, you know, a, a day off of school, like not a big deal. But instead, yeah. I went and dropped him off in this in this environment where they were searching all the backpacks because nobody told me. You know, they, they tried yeah, to phrase it as that's like crazy. It's a safety drill. Like, no, it's not a safety drill. You guys had an actual threat. Um, and yeah. this is on a, this is on a military base. It's at a military school, you know, Dodea. So, um, yeah, they've, I think based on the response they got from the parents, I think they may have changed policy. I'm I, sure, I, don't know yeah. they, I don't know if they'd <laughs> ever even had that situation before, you know, a, a gun threat yeah. on a military school. Like that's, that's just not something that you think would happen. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, leaving leaving your kids with somebody is is really it's difficult. Um, and yeah. you know, overnight duty and childcare. You know, the CDC mm-hmm. that yep. was something that we finally expanded a couple years ago. Like, oh, we don't have anybody to watch our kids during you know normal work days. And there we do have a couple CDCs in the Navy that do twenty um, four hour shifts. You have to have like a letter from your command, so you can yeah. you know, drop your kid off at overnight daycare if you need to. But I mean, the, the demands of being a parent in the military, it's very difficult. And traditionally, you know, the rule yeah. role has always been, you know, daddy goes to see mommy stays home with the kids. And, and that was the structure. But now we have families that have, you know, two mommies in the Navy or uh, two daddies in the Navy or yeah. you know, mommy's on sea duty and daddy's I, on shore duty. And, you know, how, like, Monday, my husband I and I both have duties. We have yeah. to figure out our child. I had a lot of prior that, students. Like. Yeah, I had a lot of prior students that like got pregnant by a boyfriend and then boyfriend like they broke up and now they have a kid and they're on sea mm-hmm. duty and it's like they're single it's moms terrifying. and they got to figure mm-hmm. that out. And how do you, that's how wild. Do you do overnight duty every six days or every three days? And you've got right. Yeah, it's hard it, and it's expensive too. like BH yeah. San Diego BH doesn't even cover. We paid in San Diego. We paid um, as much for our mortgage as we did for childcare. 
which Jeez, is insane. Good God, that's bananas. Yeah. Yikes. And it's a two-year wait yeah, list. I feel, that's one of those things. So. Yeah, that's one of those things that I've found to be just absurd. That, and I know, like during the debacle that was that all hands call, the Pond did mention that, like one of the projects that he's working on is adding like, I think 1100 childcare facilities or something, mm-hmm. um, which I think is amazing. Cause it's like, that's a huge problem that I just, I continually hear that over and over and over again. And I have for probably the last 10 years from female sailors. Mm-hmm. And it, I think just, it like, disproportionately affects such women, a dumpster fire, um, which maybe isn't a fair statement, but I, I feel like as a, as a woman, um, in the Navy, it disproportionately affects me than it, than it does. My I husband. mean, and, yeah, and we do have I, it, those arguments. Like I don't see how it's more important. You know, is it, is it my turn to stay home? I mean, with yeah. kids or is it your turn? <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's flip for it. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, it yeah. you know, that's maybe the wrong view. It's not whose career is more important, but um, it does feel like that sometimes like, okay, yeah. I guess, you know, especially with the, at the height of COVID when, um, like if, if one kid at the school got sniffles or, or was exposed to it, they'd shut down the whole daycare, the whole school. And it's like, well, OK, am I going in or are you going in or are we both staying home because yeah. we've both been exposed? Like what's how do we handle this? And fortunately, both of our commands have historically been really supportive where it's just kind of every other day you come in or he comes in or whatever. But, um, you know, what do right. you do if you're a single parent, you know, and it's yeah, and you lose that sailor for two weeks so yep yeah and and the so amber that i've had on a bunch of times um she was one of my instructors when i was at the a school and uh when she had her first kid her uh now ex-husband but husband at the time was on a ship and they were like i mean she was on bed rest for a while um before the before having birth and then after she had the kid, I mean, she was contacting me about like, like I have to come to work when I have duty now because she was done with uh, like she finished her leave and then came back to work. She's like, I have to come in when I have duty. And she was living, uh, I think, like 45 minutes away They because they were like the Norfolk and Fort Lee were like an hour and change oh, yeah. apart. So they lived like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And he was his command was just like like didn't care and they were i think they were in the shipyard too but like it was just like suck it up like the kid wasn't issued in your sea bag kind of attitude and so Mm -hmm. it ended up like me getting my cmc involved cmc called the carrier cmc and like started like you know dropping anvils on people's head from the top but like it was just like this is insane like you gotta like you've got to have some kind of understanding that like there's a family dynamic here. We have two different service members. Both of them have jobs like you can't like I understand she's on shore duty. But like at the time we were manned at like 75 percent. Like why well, I need her too? you know, like I know yeah. you need him apparently, but I need her to stand duty too. And it's like I, I, I I'm willing to to work around her needs, but like also and, and try to accommodate them as well. But like I mean, I can't run to other people port and starboard because she has to stay at home all the time either, you know, and it's just like because then that disproportionately punishes those two people like and that's what was happening a lot of the time when it was like I I was she's like somebody's got to take care of my kid like I, I literally can't come in. Um, and I think a few times she brought her kid to work and I was just because I told her I'm like, look, if you're comfortable with that, just bring your bring your kid with you. I don't care. Um 
but it was trying to like find some kind of weird middle ground that sort like sucked the least for her and for like for us and whatever it was it was a mess it's it's incredibly difficult and i i think it absolutely is is one of the major reasons we can't retain women uh in the military is because once once you have a kid it completely changes your dynamic i mean men don't want to deploy and leave their kids behind either um but if you're already expecting the woman culturally you know to hold that load down um when she deploys Mm -hmm. it it is incredibly difficult and i i will say um you know my husband's amazing and our that first i did a handoff with him you know we weren't even we'd barely gotten co-located we did our first year and about six months of our son's life in station in different countries and when the navy finally moved him up to me they sent me to sea school um so it was like here's your kid i'm out right like (laughs) have a nice life i'll see you in six months and um (laughs) You know, he he had to do the bottles and the backpack and the daycare yep. drop off and pick up and keep house and make dinner and do, you know, he was a single dad for that time. Yeah. And um, that honestly, I think, gave our family the foundation. I look at a lot of my peers and there's like a disproportionate load on the women to hold yeah. the, the household yeah. down. And I don't have that. Right. He we we are equal partners in yeah. all things. And he, you know, does just as much housework as I do and, you know, yeah. engages with the kids just as much as I do. And and I, honestly, I couldn't make it work if if he didn't, you know, pull equal load. There's no way I could. It's, right. it's hard. It's hard to be um, a parent and active duty pulling that weight. So, yeah, I can only imagine. Um. So. I think you were you were going towards some culture code that stuff. I think, and then we yes. got sidetracked by the chat. Yeah, so cul- so culture code. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, so okay, mm, where to start? So if we're talking about going back to like history of women in the Navy, right? So if we go back one generation ago mm-hmm. um, to the tailhook incident, tailhook ninety one, um, I actually remember watching this on the news as a kid because my dad was in the military and and it was like a kind of something we were talking about in the family. So I, I, I do remember Tailhook, yeah. but not as, you know, obviously this was before my time. Um, right. And for those who listeners who aren't aware of what Tailhook was, because I, I actually bring this up pretty frequently and I'm surprised at the number of sailors who don't know what Tailhook is. Uh, so Tailhook yeah. was a conference, is a conference. Um, it actually started as like an aviation reunion convention type thing. So there's a lot of, convention seminars but then there's also just like wild partying and um (laughs) there were like it was it used to be they used to hold it down in tijuana and then they moved it to vegas so like that was kind of the wow like go go get shwasted um (laughs) or i guess crunk might have been the uh the verbiage of the (laughs) of the Uh, time yeah uh and so tailhook um there there was Per the official investigation, 83 women and seven men were assaulted um, sexually or otherwise at the conference. There were um, 23 officers that were named in the assaults, um, committing anything from indecent exposure to assault and lying to investigators. 
And at this conference, um, the CNO was there and they actually tried to cover up the CNO's involvement in this conference. Um, Things from from as minor as like organized, like command organized drinking events, like do 12 shots and you get a headband um, or some more significant ones where they lined up outside the hospitality rooms and outside the women's hotel rooms and they called it the gauntlet and they, they groped um, and and grabbed women as they walked through to get to places. Um, The report actually says that they, it was as minor as consensual touching of the breasts to more aggressive, assaultive behavior. Um, There was one man who, one officer who, went around biting women on the bottom, like hard enough to leave teeth prints. Um, And out of all of these um, sexual assault incidences, um, not a single officer was tried um, because they, they tried to hide the CNO's involvement. So then they were like, well, basically if we try anybody, then they're all going to point fingers and be like, well, my leadership did it. Um, So they, the, the act, there's multiple investigations because initially we tried to investigate ourselves and it we hit everything. So no problem here. The official report of course, actually yeah. says the women who attended Tailhook should have expected and accepted the treatment <sighs> they received. There is a longstanding continued abuse and glamorization of alcohol within the naval aviation community, right? So you should have expected and accepted <laughs> being raped, right? That was, that was our official... Uh, investigation result. So that was in 91. And Mm -hmm. the woman who made a kind of pushed for the investigation to be reopened, um, she actually, um, man, I thought I wrote her name down. I can't find it. But she like couldn't get a job afterward because it, it she, she felt she couldn't stay in the military. Her reputation was ruined. Um, and she was labeled mm-hmm. as a whistleblower, right? So nobody wanted to work with her. Um, she, she now actually, she opened up a yoga studio and she's like self-employed because, you know, even you know, all these years later, she's still, her name is associated with Taylor. Yeah. Um, and we, as a direct result, right, they had a congressional hearing. And as a direct result of this rape incident, we decided to open up service combatant ships to women. And we moved the percentage of women in the military from that two to four percent up a little bit more. You know, when I enlisted in 05, it was like, what did I say, like six percent or something. Um, I think so, so, yeah. So what we did was we said, we're going to fix the culture by throwing more victims at the problem. Right. And and if you look at what we have right now, it's it's a direct result of that. Right. The culture hasn't been fixed. Really, we still have sexual assaults. We still have um, sexual harassment. We still have rape cases. Um, The numbers. It's like one out of 17 women in the military will be sexually assaulted um, while they're in. Like that's that's horrible. And I think for men, it's it's like 9% or something. It's, it's, or one out of nine. It's, it's pretty high. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we average 7,000 cases of sexual assault annually, the military. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's 
those are really awful statistics. And, and it's a direct result of this culture that we never fixed. So how, how do yeah. you fix a culture? <laughs> right? That's, that's kind of been something I've yeah. really been cogitating on. Um, actually ranting about how do we fix the culture in the military is what made me, uh, that's, that's why, um, scab made me a moderator on, on Reddit Navy. Yeah. I was going off on a rant about, um, the captain of uh, the blue angels got fired because people were posting or putting up illicit photos in like inside the aircraft. Yeah. And I went on this rant about like, you're creating like a continuum of harm, right? If you're allowing small behaviors, it, it will escalate. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. when I, when I was a junior sailor, my shop played, they called it the gazer game. I don't know. If, I don't think you can do it on a submarine. There's not a lot of, room on a sub <laughs> but uh, on a okay. surface ship you know engine rooms are multiple levels um yeah i mean we have so, multiple levels they're they're not gigantic but you no know, i mean you can like stand small, on the bottom level and look up through the deck plates oh yeah not up, really up, you know 60 not feet. so much that yeah no yeah. <laughs> so what they would do is they would um pull like unzip the bottom half of their coveralls pull out their uh genitalia and like try to position so that whoever walked into the engine room yeah. would look up and see, um, you know, get an eyeful of. Okay. So of, what I can tell you is it, it, uh, not exactly similar, the same, same, same because but different. <laughs> so same, same, but probably more extreme. Like, so, th- so this would be more like a, you'd get, um, you'd get somebody like right next to you, like with their balls hanging out of the bottom of their coveralls, you know, or like they'll come up behind you. Like I had a buddy that was a roommate of mine and he was a sonar tech. And so the sonar shack on a submarine is pretty small. There's a bunch of, it's always dark in there and there's like three operator chairs and then there's a supervisor. And the, like I'd get stories about how like his sonar soup would like, he'd, he'd turn around and the guy's balls would be on his shoulder. And it's, so it's just like that kind of stuff is was when I first joined was super prevalent. Like mm-hmm. I've had conversations with people that about how much the culture has changed in in certain ways on submarines. As far as like when I joined, like in I, first submarine, I, it was 2002. And by today's definition, based on that culture change, I've been sexually assaulted hundreds of times. So it's like mm-hmm. I'm talking like groping, humping, like grabbing genitalia, like uh, st- somebody sticking their finger in like in, in your butt as you're going to the bathroom, like just the wildest stuff. And it's it was just like you. It was weird when I first got to the boat. I Like it happened to me and it was somebody good gamed me. And I was like, try, I tried to start a fist fight on the Mestex. But then like. I got I and I went through like some mental health struggles at the very beginning, partially because of that kind of stuff, the cultural stuff and just the adaptation. But also like uh, I had a, a leading MS at the time uh, is a first class that I mean, he was bipolar. He was not happy. I'm pretty sure he's an alcoholic like but he was just like I, I was a people pleaser. Like I wanted to succeed in the military. I wanted to advance. I wanted to make everybody happy. Like I was like, you know, full of piss and vinegar, ready to be a hard charger. And everything that I thought the military was, was incorrect. And so I mm-hmm. ran up against that conflict and had to struggle with all the cultural things and just couldn't, I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I felt like, um, you know, I started to feel like isolated and trapped and all that kind of stuff. And so 
I got to a point where I was considering like just quitting. Like I, I was about a year in and I was like, I just can't do take this anymore, you know? And, um, I went and talked to a chaplain and got to a point where I had to go see a mental health guy to like, make sure I was like stable. And then they just sent me back to the boat cause I wasn't like crazy and they decided I wasn't suicidal either. But then when I, I had talked to my dad, they had me call my parents cause they thought it would like help. Um, as I was in the midst of like this, like mental crisis and I had to tell my dad that I thought about hurting myself and it like later as I, I thought about it, I, there was a, there was a, just this mental shift that happened eventually where I just decided that I wasn't going to quit. And it just, so it like, and, and that sounds really simple, but it was like, there was just this mental transition that happened where I just decided I was willing to accept whatever happened because I didn't want to quit because I want and and I don't ever want because my dad listens to this. I don't want there to ever be like any perception of blame or guilt or anything like that. But like I had this really um, strong drive to make my dad proud of me as far because he was in the military. He was in the Navy in Vietnam. And so he's I saw how proud he was of my brother when he joined uh, and he was he went off on the TR uh, right after September 11th and did all stuff. But I I very vividly remember his boot camp graduation and like how proud my dad was of him. And like I I got I was very attracted to what you see, like what's presented to the public at a Mm -hmm. boot camp graduation where it's like that looked like the military I saw in the movies. (laughs) Excuse me. And that's what I was excited about. Like I had this romanticized vision in my head. And so I was very attracted to that by itself. But then I saw how my dad reacted. And I was like, at first, he was really proud of me because I was going to go to college. I was going to be the first one of my brothers to go to college. Um, And I did. I mean, I went to, to school, but then I wasn't happy there. I hated it. Like I hated everything about it. Um, The culture and the academics and I just, I hated it. And, uh, so then that's when I started exploring the military option because I was already attracted to it and because my brother was doing it and because I knew like I it's a, another avenue of like making my dad proud. Right. And uh, but so I made that mental shift. And then it, what was really strange about it is it, it, it just became normal. Like it, mm-hmm. you you yeah. adapt to that and then it just becomes this thing that happens like some big sloppy dude comes in and starts humping you in the galley. It's like not even it's not an event anymore. You know, like it's just a thing that happens while you're at work or while you're on deployment. Yeah. Um, When I, when I talk about some of my, my early stories and with, you know, some of the junior sailors, they look at me like, that's crazy. I can't believe they allowed that to happen. Yeah. And it was like, well, that was normal. (laughs) That's okay. Like I'm not, yeah. yeah. I don't think I'm traumatized from it, but you know, the link, I I don't think I am either. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, I don't think I talked to my therapist about it (laughs) and was like, do you think this is going to come back and bite me later? Or like, (laughs) am I weird for not thinking this is like, I don't think it was right. And I don't think it should have been happening. And I never liked it, but I just accepted it as a part of my daily life. It was like what I would imagine people do when they're in prison where they just like there's you just adapt Mm -hmm. to this like tension and perceived risk that exists all the time and you adapt your behaviors to try to mitigate it or whatever but like it's gonna happen sometimes like and that's just what it was and so like i don't know how much of that is is why i'm on medication for anxiety right now and why i am seeing a mental like 
but it was so long ago and i i was like did it affect me is it something you think will come back to haunt me later or like and he's like no i think you've probably already processed it in the way that you needed to um yeah but it you're also perceiving it correctly like it was wrong and it was like you yeah. there might be a problem if you weren't perceiving it the way that you are but he, he's like based on the way you're describing it, it sounds like you've already processed it in a healthy way and are past it yeah i, I, like, I think well, we, we do this we do this thing where if we if we glamorize or um it minimizes the negative experience if we're like oh you know the yeah. um the jo rules blog that i sent you the kindler gentler navy yeah right if i had I liked it, bad, it a so lot you can have it bad um yep. or if if it's it wasn't that bad right if we if we glamorize it then it helps us um it, it makes it not abuse right so it wasn't so yep. bad so it didn't yep. hurt me that badly but i mean being and able that to was look exactly at it what say, happened yeah to, but now looking at it i can say that was really awful and it wasn't fun and yeah. i didn't like it um and Sometimes, like when I have conversations with uh, particularly senior male sailors, I tend to be very like I'll catch myself being very defensive and being like, are they talking to this yeah. me this way because I'm a woman? Are they talking to me this way because, yep. um, you know, something's really, you know, they're out to get me? Is this, you know, and I have to like, wait a minute, yeah. I'm looking at this through the lens of, you know, HT3 who was pretty traumatized by some of the stuff that her first chief said to her and not, yeah. not, um, HT one who's out here, you know, mm -hmm. kicking ass. and, and it's, it's a different, um, uh, I guess perspective or, or approach. And, you know, not, not everybody in the Navy is sexist and hateful and out to get me. But when I was right. a senior sailor, it felt that way. Um, you know, and my first, I've talked about this on Reddit, but my first chief said like, you're a woman, you're good for cooking and fucking, and you can't do either of those in my shop. Um, and he sent me TAD to be the departmental yeoman for pretty much the first, <laughs> my first year on board, right? No quals, no nothing. Um, cause he didn't want me in his shop. Um, and this was, wow. you know, this was the early 2000s. So we're talking about women had been on, yeah. on service combatants for less than 10 years at this point. So yeah, it was, it was a yeah. cultural adjustment for him. And it was a culture shock for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it adds value. I don't think it's something that we should allow to continue. Nah. And, and if we do allow those behaviors, um, you know, that creates a culture where we're setting the foundation for bigger, more awful behaviors to, to grow, um, where it becomes okay for, sexual harassment sexual assault by by yeah. tolerating small stuff how much have you seen it change um like in your in your experience throughout your career because like for instance like in my experience like i was saying like the submarine culture has changed dramatically because nowadays like that's immediately a sexual assault case like and it wouldn't even be you know like it wouldn't even be a question there's no like you can't do any of that stuff anymore um and the culture has changed dramatically in you know 21 years i've been doing this so like have you have you seen it improve but there's still problems or is it like vaguely the same and they've dressed it up or like how, how like how have you seen it evolve over time 
That's a really good question. I think, um, I think overall the acceptance and tolerance of inappropriate behavior has, has dropped, right? It's not, it's not okay to, um, talk to women or about women, um, or, you know, LGBTQ or whoever, uh, men, whatever, whatever it is to objectify individuals, um, or to, to discriminate against them. You know, when I first joined, it was, oh, well, you're just going to get pregnant. We can't have you on board. You're, why, why waste getting you qualified? You're just going to get knocked up. Um, and now I don't think that would yeah. ever fly. Um, but sexual harassment and sexual assault still happens. Um, and I yeah. think we just kind of, it's not overt anymore. I would almost rather someone look at me and be like, you're a woman and, and useless instead of someone being like, Oh, we're so glad to have you on board, HT1, and then like actively undermine me. And and I've had that my yeah, you know, I you and I had many conversations about the leadership at my last command, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and how that I was kind of fighting that um, stealth uh, sexism, I guess. So yeah, I I think it's improved a lot because it's it's. yeah. But we still have problems, I guess, is how I would categorize it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's this, I would say this, like, I think it has changed dramatically on submarines. Um, I have noticed that, like, when I stepped outside the submarine community on my last shore duty, I noticed that it seemed like I took a bunch of steps backwards. And it, it had, I hadn't, uh, worked with, with women. I mean, I worked with women on my first shore duty, but not, um, I didn't perceive it the same way because I wasn't really like I was in like really low level leadership positions. So it was, I was still close enough to just be in one of the guys or one of the team or whatever, like being like on the deck plate that, um, I didn't perceive it in the same way as I did on, on the second one when I was a chief, when I showed up and then I made senior chief before I left. And I was the SEL of, of the learning site before I left. And so like I, I was interacting with and perceiving a lot of things differently than I had before. And I was obviously the, in, very involved in any issues that came up because I was part of the like local triad and um, it just felt different. It felt like people spent a lot more time doing that kind of stuff, like undermining each other and like, uh, and it wasn't just like a, a, a sex-based thing or a race-based thing. It was like, like I said before, I had a primarily female staff and they would undermine each other all the time trying to get like a position or a collateral duty or like some, I don't know, like watch rotation that they wanted or whatever, or an award. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really bizarre because I'm not, I'm used to like, like we give each other a hard time on submarines, but it's just kind of understood at the end of the day, we're all on the same team and nobody's going to actively undermine each other, like in meaningful ways like that. Like not to say that there's not any like, um, like competitiveness for those types of jobs and all that kind of stuff. But it, it just felt different. It felt like, um, I don't know, like it, and I, I attributed it to the surface community, not to just there being women there because it wasn't just women. It was everybody that wasn't a submariner. And it was like there was only me and one other guy that was a, was on submarines and everybody else was 
uh, from surface community, which I, I mean, I'm saying surface community. It's really just the rest of the Navy. Cause we had like some CBs and some other, other warfare communities, but yeah, it just seemed really strange and it wasn't everybody, but it was just the overall culture seemed odd. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know, like, and I don't know why it is that way. And I don't know how you fix it because what I've learned from doing this podcast over a long period of time is it doesn't seem like that. Like there's this kind of like, I don't know how you like family based idea that while it's certainly not like a fully like (laughs) healthy and like optimally functioning family, there's like this close knit, like family uh, component to the submarine community's culture. And Mm -hmm. I've never felt it anywhere else in the Navy. And it's not to say it doesn't exist because I've talked to people in like the uh, special operations community or like other real small communities where things become informal. Like uh, I had Chief Nick on a bunch of times a while back, um, the EOD chief, and he described something very similar, which I I mean, I guess that's kind of special operations. But um, divers, I've talked to divers and they kind of say the same thing. So it's like there's this when it's a smaller community, it just seems like it becomes closer and it becomes um, you just become more attached to the people and the, maybe the culture is different for because it's smaller and because you become closer as a result of that. I, but I then, like, it doesn't a lot of feel... that when I was forward deployed on, um, on all mm-hmm. the ships, especially out in Japan, um, where, you know, you're okay. gone for my first ship. We were gone 300 days that year. And then when you're in port, you're in yeah. section duty. So um, you're just underway mm-hmm. a lot. Um and that the crew does become family, you know, you're, you sleep yeah. together, you eat together, you work out together, you, um, yeah. you know, those are all things that, that build bonds. Um, and, you know, sleeping, even if you're like in the shop sleeping next to somebody like that's, 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 a that's an intimate thing to, to be, you know, that yeah. helpless next to somebody. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't have done that in my first shop, um, actually talking about culture shifts, my first shop, um, did this like experiment where they started playing progressively more aggressive and graphic porn, um, at night when I was on watch. So I would have to like come through the shop to take logs and they would wait for me to walk in and then play something just to see what my reaction was. Um, you know, I had to walk through male birthing male head to get to the trunk to go down to, shaft alley to take readings and in the middle of the night like i i mean i hated going down there because i i didn't know yeah like who was gonna jump out at me and how clothed they were gonna be or what they were gonna do like it was you know firemen yeah. firemen bgw did not want to go down there it was um you know so that <laughs> culture has changed because now there's no way you would be playing porn um in the shop tv yeah you know openly um and uh, or you know talking you know telling a, a junior sailor the different sex acts you'd want to do with them you know that so that that culture i yeah. think we've kind of like finally started labeling behaviors as like inappropriate and not acceptable um and then you know talking when you said that chief was upset because they wouldn't let her sleep in chief's birthing or get into chief's birthing right it's mm-hmm. how much of it happens when i'm not there you know, if, if they're having conversations yeah. where um, they're 
talking to me or about me or saying things to me that are like borderline. What do they say about me when I'm not there? And I, I do wonder that. Um, but I don't know if yeah. it's, you know, I guess going back to just kind of feeling defensive about some things because of my initial experiences in the Navy versus how they, if they really are different yeah. now, or if it's just hidden, I don't know. So, yeah, that's how I feel about, I have like a complex from being a cook and it's like, that's, I've had those conversations with my leadership of like my last cob. Uh, was he, one day he just flippantly said after we, cause I was, you know, doing what I do and advocating or being defensive about something. And he, he just flippantly said to me and my supply officer who was standing right next to me, like, God, you supply people are always so defensive. And I was like, well, why do you think that is like because uh, on a routine yeah. basis, we get like marginalized and told we're unimportant and told we're stupid or whatever. Like my entire career, I've been told I'm dumb because I'm a cook. And it's like I'm like and, you know, like it sounds arrogant, but like a lot of the time I'm the smartest person in the room and I know it. And so it's like <laughs> I, and I'm, that's not to like downgrade anyone else. But I know what my I know what my like level of intelligence is. And I, I mean, there's times where I'm certainly like only one of the smartest people in the room, because like I had on that boat in particular, I had an EDMC that was like, good God, he was like one of the smartest human beings I've ever met. He had a brain like a computer, but he somehow was like also very personable and street smart and like like he could do everything very well. He was really smart. Um, and I love that dude, but even, even he at times, which, and he was pretty good about checking himself as well, but, and I checked him a few times at the very beginning too, but he was very good at, uh, recognizing when he was being that guy. But he also like, I I've had conversations even with people like him where they'll say something like, uh, like, do you need me to explain that to you cookie? Or like, Oh, what do you know about it? You're just a cook. And it's like, a, like, how are smart people this stupid? Like, how are you like assuming simply based on the job that I chose? I wasn't mm -hmm. assigned it. I chose it. So based on the job that I chose that somehow my intellect is lower, like somehow my ability to process information isn't as good as yours. Like it doesn't it doesn't make any logical sense. And on top of that, I've demonstrated through my behavior and my interactions with you that that's not true and you're still saying dumb stuff like that and then they'll be like oh it's just joking it's like no you're not no you're not because then i have to like we'll be in an awards board and somebody's like oh really we're gonna give the cooks nams for making making lunch and it's like okay we're so we're gonna give you a nam for writing numbers in a box in an air-conditioned space like i'm so impressed <laughs> like you walked around in circles and didn't even break a sweat like wow you know, and it's like and it's an unfair characterization on both ends. Right. Like, I know they do more than that, but that's like if that's the game we're playing, the majority right. of your time is spent walking around writing numbers in boxes. So it's like it's like it created that like complex in my head to where I'm doing the exact same thing where I'm always expecting that behavior to be like an underpinning of everything that's going on. And mm -hmm. I got to a point where. I, you know, like on my last submarine within that mess, I was very well respected. And on the submarine, I was very well respected. And I, a lot of the junior people would come to me before they would go to anyone else, including their own chief. But then what also happened was I debriefed an eval. Like I sat down and got an eval debriefed to me where I was an MP as a senior chief. 
where there when there was uh, two EPs, one of them is generally the EDMC unless they're terrible at their job because they have such a huge responsibility on the boat. It's like if they're they're doing the job of of almost like a cob as a nuke, and so it, like it makes a lot of sense because they're in charge of half of the crew almost. Um, and they're doing a lot more, like they have a lot more responsibility, um, than you would say like a, a normal department chief does. But outside of that, there was another EP. I'm like, I, objectively, if you looked at my eval, like it should have been me. You could have pulled only the people on board that didn't like me and they would have told you it should have been me. So it's like, it wasn't even an argument. And I debriefed an MP eval because I was a cook. That was the only explanation outside of the the other thing was the CO was the XO, the Cobb was the sonar chief, and then the sonar uh, chief was the sonar LPO on their used to boat, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. that's the only other thing that I could true. point at and be like, well, that's the reason why. And it's not like the the guy that got the EP over me was that sonar chief. And it's like, I he's a friend of mine. I love him to this day. I have a lot of respect for him. But during that reporting period, it should have been me. And I think like I've never talked to him about it because I just kind of decided like to move on because at the end of the day, as sad as it is, I understood in that moment as I was making the decision on whether or not to flip out at this debrief in that moment, I kind of mentally sadly conceded that even though I deserve the EP and I don't think anybody could argue otherwise, I also understood that the MP that I was I was written, the, the eval I was written because other cooks on other submarines also are not getting EPs, this was going to be the best eval that they saw at the board. So I'm like, it kind of doesn't matter as gross as that is. Like, I just kind of was like, (laughs) if I'm going to argue this, all I'm going to do, if I flip out right now or say I'm going to submit a statement or so one, my eval could change two, my end of tour could evaporate three. um, I could just create this really hostile work environment for myself. So I was sitting there to myself thinking like, like, I kind of want to fight this fight because I deserve this, but also, does it really matter? And what's is anything really going to change besides I have a hostile work environment and potentially a worse eval? Like, <laughs> so I just kind of yeah. sat there and I and I think they saw the CEO and Cobb were in the office with me. And I think they saw the gears turning where I was like, am I about to flip out or am I just going to sign this? And then I ended up just signing it and, you know going and having some conversations with some friends to vent and my, telling my wife about it and moving on. And it's just like, like it still burns a little bit, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I mean, it all worked out in the end. I'm going home with two stars over my anchor. And, um, but it was that complex. I don't know if mm-hmm. it'll ever go away. And I, I do the same thing where I often wonder if I'm fairly evaluating an interaction because I'm so used to being discounted or, um, like viewed through that lens, you know, and it's like, I, I don't know, it's weird. And I have to I, I consistently to like analyze myself. When I was, the, yeah. when I was the work center suit, when people would come in and be like, H2, I need you to fix this thing, whatever. Um, and I would, I would make a game of how they interacted with me. And I had two piles of like people I'm taking care of and people who think I'm dumb. And, you know, <laughs> I would, I would kind of take pleasure in being like, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it. Like, you're going to talk to me like yeah. I'm an idiot. I'm going to treat you like you're an idiot. So let's go. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I know I do. I, I do wonder sometimes if I'm and I'll ask, I'll, I'll like go ask other, especially, you know, women on board. Like, am I am I being oversensitive to this? Is this a. Yeah, is this what actually happened. Yeah. Um, 
And I think just being aware of it helps. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, culture code, we're going to eventually get to, yeah, <laughs> we're eventually going to, we're get actually going to talk about it. <laughs> so, so this book was, you know, when you talk about, um, transformational leaders on board, um, mm-hmm. the, the transformational leader that I had, um, is a former, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably doxing myself cause he listens to you. I introduced this podcast to him. Oh, yeah. Um, he, <laughs> <laughs> and he introduced the culture code to me. So, uh, Fair trade, I guess. Um, but he, he's a former Navy diver chief, went LDO, um, and mm-hmm. uh, really just he and my department head were kind of the only two that took care of me when I was at a command that was melting down. Um, the one that had, you know, a chief sexually assaulting junior sailors and the chiefs must yeah. try to cover it up. And, um, you know, they they took me to DRB. Uh, for helping essentially for helping a junior sailor and um then that same afternoon they took me to sailor the quarterboard and gave me an ep eval so it was like this this complete uh like i have i have total power over your life is kind of the the vibe i got from from that whole experience like oh and and in my drb they uh they sexually harassed me like they asked me inappropriate conversations about my my life with my husband and um it's just it's it was just a really incredibly wow. awful toxic yeah. no, i remember talking to you about that yeah it was it was not it, was, it almost um i i almost ended my career in the navy actually at this command um yeah and i mean like and we talked about it but like and it's not fair to you or to any other junior senator that goes there and i'm not gonna obviously say the command and i'll be as vague as possible but like that place is where careers go, careers to, die. go to die and it's like so <laughs> they send people there that they like <laughs> got deemed unworthy to do anything else they and do so what, yeah that obviously <laughs> creates the leadership dumpster fire that you unfortunately had to endure and it's like yeah it's, we had we had four cmc's yeah. in the in like my first year on yep. board one was out for a fap case one was like a, a failed uh dapa case he got a dui another got told he couldn't yeah. couldn't get underway for whatever reason we had one good yeah. one and then he pcs so um anyway yeah. yeah so that command um so i actually watched uh this i don't i don't want to put his name out there but uh, i watched the chief engineer come in and um change the culture like i, I watched it happen um and i was i would think i was yeah too far into my like hurt and survival coping state um that i i couldn't it makes me sad because if i had had the support earlier at that command i think i could have made meaningful impactful changes um but i i really it was at that point it was all i could do to like get through the work day without like having to melt down (laughs) you're Um, a fucking case study for like what what we lose when we when we do do this wrong you know what i mean like what we um what we're sacrificing as an organization like through just efficacy overall when we are so inept with the way that we apply leadership across the board and Mm -hmm. by virtue of that create this this negative culture that stifles creativity and like 
uh, doesn't reward like uh, people who are going out of the way to do the right things and doesn't like get behind and push the, the, the right people and encourage that kind of thing and take care of them. And like, we'll get into the, like the needs meeting thing later, like that everybody constantly hears me talk about, but it's like that the idea that like, cause you and I went through that whole discussion with that one sailor that you had. And mm-hmm. over the course of, I mean, it took you like 18 months, I think two years to yeah. finally get response from that kid and get him headed in the right direction. But you did. And you did it by like investing in him and meeting those needs and kind of rehabilitating a lot of like trust issues that he had. And um, you got to a point where you you turned him around and it's like that should have been universally recognized there as like a triumph, like holy she got this kid on the right track. And it's like instead what happened was all the things you've described. It's like you were constantly like stifled and like told you were wrong or told you you weren't doing it right or told like whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and to the point where it beat you down to the, to where you did no longer wanted to be involved in the organization and rightly so be based on all the stuff that happened. And it's like, you can't for a second, like blame somebody in that type of a scenario for ending up in that place. Cause I I've been there where I've gotten to a point inside organizations where I was so just bitter and jaded and upset that like I wasn't fully functional and I mean mm-hmm. I, you can make an argument that I'm there right now as far as like and I'm on my way out the door I'm retiring in like three months but I haven't been super involved in a while and I I still feel guilty about it even though it's like I I'm I had significant mental health problems over the last year and it's it's and physical health problems and and all kinds of other crap that it all kind of like gets caught up in this negative feedback loop. But like I, I criticize myself and I'm like harsh on myself for not doing it. Um, and I think this podcast probably saves me from a lot of that negative effect in a way because I still feel like I'm making an impact. But like as far as like at my job, like during the chief season, I had a, and it, it bit it bit hard when it happened, but also it was fair. Like I had a kid, um, I wasn't very involved this past year because, and I told told myself on purpose I wasn't going to be because I didn't want to just be giving, giving, giving constantly like when I needed to work on myself. And so like I wasn't very involved, but I was at final night and I had a kid, they do this act, activity um, and there's a lot of variations of it, but he walked up and they were putting stakes in front of people at, who they thought were like the weakest link. And they explained why. And he like the whole time I'm like, I was barely around. Nobody's going to do it to me. And then this kid walked up to me and he was one of the selects that I liked the most. And he put a, a stake in front of me. And what he said was, um, I've always loved have like the conversations that I've had with you. And I've always learned a lot from them. And I feel like we could have benefited from you being around more, but you weren't. And I was just like, oh, ouch. <laughs> like, and it was like, it kills me because like, I always want to be like, I've, I have always been, and I've always kind of prided myself on being like the person that goes as far as is necessary to like take care of sailors and mm-hmm. ca- starting to unplug from that a little bit. It feels like I'm doing something wrong. And it's like that and like examples like that and some other stuff. I'm just like, it, it feels terrible. And like, I don't like, I don't like it, but also 
like it happens and it happens when you get to this place where your needs aren't being met and you're not well taken Mm -hmm. care of. And I got to that place recently. I've gotten to that place before in other organizations where it's like I just throw my hands up and say, fuck it. Like I, I, I can't win here. Like, and it's like, all I want to do is take care of these people or fix this thing. And it's like, you get of every human being, no matter what, like, cause before cancer, I thought I was superhuman. Like I thought I was immune to a lot of this stuff. I just had broader shoulders than everyone else. And I could like continue to, to burn the candle at both ends and redline my way through my naval career. And like, and I was never going to get overwhelmed and I was never going to quit and nobody was ever going to be able to stop me. And then that happened and the wheels fell off the wagon rapidly. And then I was like, Oh, turns out, turns out I'm not 10 feet tall and bulletproof. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's like, it happens to everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It happens to everybody. Like that was my command. Um, at one point, you know, the, the one we talked to the one time I I sat in the parking lot and I cried and I was like, I'm turning into a statistic. Like I'm, (laughs) I know, all of the resources the Navy has available to me. I know what I would respond to myself if I was posting this on Reddit. I, I know what I need to do and I know what I need to hear, but I, I'm so tired. I can't, yeah. I can't just keep going back into that fray every single day, walking into this arena yep. and having this fight every single day. And it's exhausting yep. and it's demoralizing. And, um, you know, I just, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to quit. And thankfully I'm at a command that values me. Um, and, and also, you know, talking about Reddit too, that's why I don't, um, why I, I kind of keep my identity under wraps is because if, if anybody at that command had known me, they would have been like, no way. <laughs> There's no way yeah. that she, that's her. <laughs> like, um, yeah. cause I was not, I was not functioning toward the end of it there. I was not 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 functioning i think that's just the best way to put it um yeah actually my yeah. my command talking about eval debriefs right my commanding officer apologized to me um and i i thought that would help i thought hearing say i knew what was happening and i'm sorry i let it happen would help but all it did was make me angrier because it was like you more angry you yeah. knew that it was happening and and you sacrificed me to protect and he told me that he said we i needed i knew what was happening i knew you were being mistreated um, but I needed to get the chief's mess working together and marching in the same direction. So you sacrificed me yeah. to, to get to, for what? That's, because they're still yeah. dysfunctional. It didn't do anything. You know, right. they're still, they're still yeah. like, I, I checked the senior chief results to make sure that certain names weren't on there as, as, as any as that <laughs> is, uh, like I, I, yeah. you know, lost all respect for, with the exception of those two leaders, you know, the, the, chief engineer and my department head who took care of me. Um, yeah, it was, it was, that was not a good tour for me at all. It was, it was the worst, the worst in, uh, 17, 18, almost 18 years. So, um, anyway, so the culture code, we're we're almost there. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be like Uh, the whole, I'm going to title the podcast anyways, the culture code. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, so, so this book, right. He, he talks about like the goal of the book is how do you create effective teams? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. if you, if you take a a graph and along the Y axis, you write performance and along the X axis, you write teamwork or like inclusiveness. Um, and then if you, if you put the little point for somebody's performance and their team inclusion, right. We often, we have metrics for performance. 
but we don't have metrics for how somebody is a contributing member to the team, right? How, how, how mm-hmm. do you measure somebody's teamwork engagement? Um, and it, it's better yeah. to have somebody who is a mediocre performer or even low performer who is who adds value to the team instead of having a bunch of mm-hmm. individuals who add no value to the team but who are high performers, right? Um, I will take a group of non-quals that are highly motivated and I can, I can point them in the right direction and we can yeah. accomplish anything. Um, yeah. But – but a bunch of individuals who are going to be infighting and arguing and tearing each other down and trying to get them yeah. to accomplish something is it's a, you know, a disaster. So this book right. looks at that. Um, how do you, how do you create um, effective teams? And mm-hmm. so in the first chapter of the culture code, Dan Coyle talks about kind of this experiment where they took these little teams and gave them an assignment and then they injected one person whose job was to bring down the team. Um, so he he would like put his head on the table and he would complain about how tired he was and just be yeah. super negative. He was like this little rain cloud. And there was a measurable decline in group performance with one individual. Um all except for in this last group, this last group, they injected their little rain cloud. And there was this guy who was, um, to continue with my little analogy of this ray of sunshine, right? Any negative thing yeah. he would counter with positivity, any complaint he would redirect. Yeah. If they put his head down on the table, he would come in and be like, come on guys, let's go. Let's you know, like put some pep in our step. We can do it. Um, and yeah. he, he single-handedly like railroaded this anti-teamwork individual. And he could not, the anti-teamwork individual could not bring the team down. And it actually got to the point where he got upset. Like when they were doing the little, like after the experiment debrief, he was like mad about it. He was like, this guy ruined the experiment, <laughs> right? Um, and so, <laughs> so I was like, well, I can, I can do that. Like, let me, I can breathe a ray of sunshine. So I actually tried that very recently. Um, we had an all hands call and this... Um, and it'd be like watching it on site TV, right? Cause my command is, is bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and this baby nuke ensign came in and it was just like this constant stream of everything sucks and this is awful. And our CEO's an idiot and CMC is <sighs> dumb and blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. and I found myself getting mad at him. I was like, he, he brought my mood down, right? Like this one. So yeah. once you're aware of kind of the group dynamic and, you know, how, how do you, something very small, how do you act during training, right? Are you engaged and involved and is your attitude infectious or are you putting your head down on the table and sighing and moaning about how this is a waste of our time yeah. and, you know, cleaning stations is dumb. Why are we doing this? Um, so that's kind of like the first half of this, right? The culture code talking about creating mm. effective teams right and it's it's much more than just having a, a cohesive mood um and a positive yeah. mood but he also talks at length about this concept of creating safety and vulnerability um and that that as leaders is something that we i don't think know how to do the navy doesn't teach that there's seems- no those two ideas seem like they conflict like safety and vulnerability. Yes, they do actually um, seem that they, they okay. would be conflicting. Um, and 
so while while I really like Dan Coyle, he he like says this is you need to have you need to create safety so that your team can be vulnerable with one another in order to have an effective team. That's kind of the premise of his book. But he doesn't get very much into how you create vulnerability. Um, and so for that, I really like Brene Brown. Brene Brown. Um, Brene Brown. <laughs> I, and love have you, I love I, I mean, Brene Brown. She is amazing. So her. I, I have, yeah, I've listened to almost all of her books and I've watched her TED Talk and I've watched her on YouTube. And yeah, like she had a Netflix special, I think. Yes. I've yes. digested most of her material because she's incredible. She is. But she talks at length about creating vulnerability. And why it's important and and what happens when you do create vulnerability, right? When you create vulnerability, you are able to finally have authentic human connection. And as leaders, when you have that connection, that's when you're able to influence um, and and create this environment where your sailors want to excel and perform and be contributing members of the team. But you have to have that foundation of respect and connection. Um, and in order to have connection, yeah. you have to be vulnerable. So it, it's this, it's this um, kind of tangled knot where you have to take the chance to be vulnerable. Um, and maybe in being vulnerable, it, it is, you know, it, it feels very unsafe to do that, to, to be well, open. And, and, and saying like safety, like I, at first, the, like the way that I thought about it or felt about the word, I guess, um, I don't like I don't think it was correct because like the I've described it a lot as like um, building trust instead of safety, like the feeling of safety. But like you're Mm going to feel safe in being vulnerable with someone that you trust. And so like it's just creating a dynamic where like those people understand that I have their best interests at heart and I I Mm -hmm. genuinely care about them. And because yes. of that, they trust me. And because they trust me, they feel safe to be vulnerable. And so like, yeah, I think that they, I mean, they're more linked than I thought originally because the way, when it was just those two things in a vacuum, I was like, those don't seem like they relate very well, but they, they do because that feeling of safety is just derived from the trust that you would build. Right. And, and, you know, that links in with uh, our favorite theory here, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's another guy um, I'm probably going to slaughter his name. Um, Adolfer. Um, anyway, no. he has a theory <laughs> that's similar to Maslow, but he says it's not a hierarchy mm. that all the needs are kind of on a um, like overarching um, pendulum. Right. So we all have the intrinsic yeah. existence needs. So food, drink, right warmth we have relatedness Mm, needs which are um social connection and then growth needs right so learning um self-actualization all of this stuff so it's it's very similar but um he his theory is that it's um it's not a ladder it's it's separate components um that maybe overlap a little bit um, so anyway, right. But that social connection is a, and belonging, all of that, those are, those are huge needs. And when we're talking about like, you know, back 20 years ago, when we accepted inappropriate behavior at work and we just kind of accepted it as normal, part of why we did that yeah. was because we needed to belong, right? We wanted to be in the group. 
Um, and, right. and I will I will even now tolerate things that maybe make me a little bit uncomfortable because I know if I say something, I'm going to be ostracized. Right. I know that if I'm For, the yeah. one that's always raining yeah. the fun, that I'm not going to be invited out up to the lunch. You know, I'm not going to be yep. invited to the barbecue <laughs> or whatever. And it, so then I have to look at it and it's like, well, is, is hanging out with a group of people that mistreat me? Yep. Really worth it. <laughs> like, but it's a need. That's why I haven't. I've. I've never been one of the cool kids uh, in any of like my messes and stuff. I've always been. And it, this is what was weird about it for me. was like, I was always um, like respected in the mess and like taken seriously, but I was never invited to like someone's house to drink or whatever. Like I was never that guy where I was like um, included in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and I always knew that. And I, a lot of the time I attributed it to being the cook chief where it was just like, I wasn't one of the cool kids and that's fine. I don't, you know, like it, it is what it is. And I, like you just said, like a lot of the time it was kind of like, I don't want to hang out with people that don't value me anyway. So it's kind of okay. Even though it was, there were definitely times, especially during my first chief's tour where it was very isolating um, because yes. it was like, I, I took very seriously, like, the idea of fraternization where I didn't want to hang out with people that I wasn't supposed to be hanging out with and blah, blah, blah. But then I was a young chief with no family and like it. So it, I didn't, wasn't really relating well to these mid thirties, you know, two and a half kids and a wife and a dog or whatever people uh, either. Um, I related a lot better to like second classes and first classes on a personal level. So it was really isolating. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Like I, I never, <laughs> I was never, cause I, I was always the one that would open my big mouth and call people out or say when something's wrong or rock the boat when it needed rocking. And that's why another reason why I'm amazed that I promoted for the same, like for the same reasons I wasn't included in the social circles. Um, I assumed it would affect evals and everything else. Like I thought for sure I would retire a chief and uh, here I am. So like, I don't, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure how this happened. But well, yeah, and, and it, it does, you know, when, you know, with, like we said at the very, very beginning, talking about Sarah Ahmed's book complaint, um, you mm-hmm. know, when you're the one who's constantly raising awareness about a problem, then you get labeled as the problem person, right? Even though right. you're not the problem, even though the institution and the way they're treating individuals is the problem, you, yeah. you know, that label it becomes very hard to escape. Um, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting to always be the HT1 is her hair in regs. So, I don't know. You're a yep. leader. Look up the regs. I, like, yes, no. Yep. I, yes, I can yep. talk to her about it. You know, <laughs> HT1, I, you know, so-and-so said yeah. something to me that I think is, is inappropriate and I don't know how to handle it. It's like, well, okay, like these are your options and I will sit and talk with him with you if you want to do that. Or you can go make a formal complaint or, you know, whatever it is. But like yeah. to always bear that burden is. Yep. It's exhausting and it's lonely. That's um, that's me. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard. So, but it, yeah. it you know if you don't if you so then there there comes that moral obligation too. If you don't speak up, you know you're you're becoming part of the problem. You're becoming part yeah. of the institution that's silencing, right? Um, you know someone who's hurting and needs you know, needs a stronger leader to, or not even stronger, but needs a leader to step in and say, this is wrong. This is, we need to stop this behavior. Um, so, 
Um, anyway, so with the, the whole culture code um, and Brene Brown, right, talking about how to create safety um, and kind of emotional connection. So Brene Brown, her first TED Talk, she talks about if we've got um, the one she talks about having emotions and if we numb, we, we tend to label certain emotions as bad. Um, yeah. And if you try to numb bad emotions, I don't like labeling emotions as bad, but because uh, emotions just are, but uh, maybe uncomfortable emotions. If we try to numb the uncomfortable mm-hmm. emotions, we also numb the the good or comfortable or you know positive emotions. Um, and then yeah. we kind of end up in this state where we're just numb entirely, and that's a state of crisis. Um, and when you're totally mm-hmm. cut off from your emotions, you can't have authentic human connection. And without connection, you can't create safety. Without creating safety and trust, you can't create and promote team cohesiveness. And then it, it's all around um, kind of leading yeah. us back to effective leadership. So, um, and then tying that into, you know, women's history in the Navy um, and continuum of harm. And it, it's, it's just a, puts us in a position as, as leaders to really assess um, how, how are we creating safety and trust for our junior sailors and what does that look like? And also, um, you know, we, I don't think are in touch with our own emotions and this, this younger generation of sailors, um, like you can't, you know, (laughs) for an example, I was coming up. So the way my ship is set up, we have like mess line is one way only during meal hours. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was this very angry, um, MA master chief who is like knife handing, screaming at this junior sailor who had a plate full of food who was trying to double back and grab some silverware and this master chief like blocked the whole aisle and he's just losing his mind you know i told you to go around blah, 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 blah. and he, he's like i didn't see the sign master chief i'm sorry right which is i think yeah. a perfectly reasonable response and that like just triggered something <laughs> and he just went off and so he's blocking yeah. the whole line now this master chief is creating more of the problem he was trying to fix and i was like you you've literally lost yeah. not just the sailor you're screaming at right and and not yeah. accomplishing the goal you wanted to accomplish but you have lost every single person on this mess deck that's watching you not a single person yep. thinks that you're cool not a single th- person thinks that you're <laughs> you know like a good leader like you've literally lost right everybody and now i'm pissed because you're like interfering with me getting to sit down and eat my food so like, <laughs> right i just kind of was like excuse and me stuck- and like elbowed my way through but like it was it was yeah, completely yeah. not that's not effective leadership and that was kind of the leadership that right. i grew up in in the navy was like just yell yell yep. louder at the problem and it'll fix itself um yep and that doesn't work like these these junior sailors will no. look out their phone real fast and be like yell at me again I'm going to ruin your career. Come at me. Yeah. Right. Like watch me post yeah. you on Reddit. Like, <laughs> right. You know, well, um, and also like it's the, what you're saying about the, the emotional intelligence part of it is like, it's not present in a lot of my generation. Like they were never taught those tools. And so we're not creating trust and by virtue of trust safety and then progressing from there because we don't even know it's important. Like, and that's right. like a, I, I say it in that way on purpose because while 
I'm I'm not ever going to relieve somebody like that master chief of the personal responsibility he has to develop himself as a leader. Um, I also think that there a lot of culpability lies with the organization for not taking that person's leadership development serious enough over however, you know, 20 plus years or however long he's been doing this to prepare him for the roles that he was in on the way up that would have created that like like those tools for him to be able to mm-hmm. have a very different conversation. Just be like, Hey man, did you see the sign where you, you need to go around to grab uh, silverware or like depending on proximity to it, maybe he could have just grabbed it for him or he Hey, could've. said to <laughs> a person behind him, Hey, Hey, pass me a fork <laughs> or what do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's obviously not worth doing what he did. And it's obvious that he created a bigger problem. Um, not just for that sailor, but for all the sailors around him. He lost all that respect and credibility. No one's going to trust him now. No one's going to take him seriously now. But, but like, I think he it may not be obvious. That he, 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 I'm sure he it walked not away from that in action him. thinking, I, I chiefed so hard, right? Like, I fixed, I fixed that problem. I, yeah, I 100% <laughs> agree with you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, I think he believes that that's the way he's supposed to be doing it because mm-hmm. he's been doing that since the beginning and that method has been validated through promotions and awards and whatever until he yes. ended up master chief. And now he's, you know, like the Oracle, like now he, who could possibly tell me I'm doing it wrong. I'm, he's the pinnacle of the enlisted pay grade structure. Like, you, like of course he's doing it right. So yeah, I mean, you can't teach somebody like that at this point, gen- generally because of all that validation that's happened. Like he's a master mm-hmm. chief. Of course he knows everything there is to know about like leadership and, and managing people and all the things that he needs to, to do that effectively because he continues to get validated by the organization. Right. Yeah. Like, the Peter, you, the Peter. The, principle how do you episode. fix that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and yep. promoted to, to your uh, highest <laughs> level, level of incompetency. Incompetency. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked, that I liked the Ahmed's, she said strategic incompetence and i was like i loved that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we yeah. i mean and we we do it, it wasn't until i had kids that i really began looking at emotional development and emotional maturity and what that looks like and why it's mm-hmm. important um and you know the the one of the books i sent you was adult uh, adult children of emotionally immature parents. Um, and there's, there's like a questionnaire in the opening, like chapter of the book, there's 15 questions. And I like, I went through them and I like, it's like nine yeses for my dad and seven for my mom or nine for my mom, seven mm-hmm. for my dad, something like that. So between the two of them, I had checked every single one. Um, and then I flipped the page and it was like, if you said yes to one question, you have an emotionally immature parent and this book is for you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started reading Ruh-roh. it and um, yeah, <laughs> and it, it made, I was like, oh, light bulbs going on. Like this explains so much. Um, but then yeah. having a toddler, right, the way the brain develops with a kid um, and, and the mm-hmm. other episode that you, well, you didn't do it, but um, I don't know which which one of your guest speakers did the uh, chief andrew i think so the one where the emotional intelligence episode yes yeah Yeah, that was that was andrew yeah he he talks about with his toddler right like the brain is developing and the emotional chaos of a toddler like when they have a strong emotion their brain 
literally shuts down. Like they, it all executive function yeah. ceases, right? So when your kid is throwing himself on the floor, <laughs> having a temper tantrum, they're not, they're not like being manipulative. They're not being bad. They're just liter- literally having such a strong emotion that their brain stopped working. Right. And all they can do is cry yeah. about it. Um, and as a parent, like trying to bring, it doesn't work when you yell, stop crying. Right. That's how my parents yeah. handled it yeah. when I had a, an emotional <laughs> event as a child. Right. I'll give you something to cry about. That doesn't fix yeah, or much. help or do anything, <laughs> right? All you do is is numb the emotion. Yeah. Right? You stop. You you shut that emotion down. And you know, talking about what Brene Brown said, when you shut down certain emotions, you end up shutting down all the emotions. Um, so you know, I've yeah. got a first grader and a preschooler, and you know, we're we're like almost out of the strong emotional, like the the one to four is kind of like the emotional development of toddler stage yeah. and it is so hard. It's so rough. Um, and I, you know, didn't grow up with emotionally mature parents. So I didn't learn how to handle my emotions in a healthy way. So when my kid is having this emotional event, I have such a hard time bringing the calm to their chaos and then connecting with them and helping regulate them. Like I can barely regulate my own emotions. How am I supposed to regulate a toddler's emotions? Like, no, I didn't. Where's the tech manual for this, right? Where's <laughs> <So, laughs> my MRC card? Because <laughs> yeah, parent parenting would be a lot easier with the MRC card. <laughs> so yeah, trying trying to um, you know be a healthy parent definitely impacted how I view my interactions with sailors, um, and kind of in the leadership realm. And it and it circles back to this emotional, healthy emotional connection. So um, yeah, yeah, difficult difficult stuff there yeah and i feel like we're i don't know like the like where i was saying before kind of like the the leadership structure in the military doesn't understand any of this and i don't think what's odd about it is that it doesn't seem like there's a big effort to understand it either like it's not like they understand i don't i i have yet to see an indication from like high up leadership in the military that there's any recognition that we have a gigantic problem with the way that we're leading people and particularly with emotional intelligence. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a feature, not a bug. I, we need, we need individuals who are going to go out and kill and break stuff. And you can't do that if you're in an emotionally regulated state. You can't, you can't do that. I, um, I don't and, and agree. You, no, uh, I don't, yeah. I don't think, I don't think that we care to change that. And it's, Right. If you really want to look look at the kind of like who we recruit and why we recruit from certain um, demographics, like I don't think people join the military, most people, because everything is going awesome. We tend to recruit people who don't really have any other options or who are running away from a bad situation. Um, I mean, there's a few that aren't that are maybe running towards something, but for for most of us... um, you know, in, in adult children of emotionally mature parents, she says that people who grew up in chaotic home environments tend to seek out military and paramilitary organizations because for the first time in their life, it's a um, almost like a vending machine. I don't think she uses the term vending machine, but it's like if you put in the correct change, then you get the the right thing, right? Like you get approval and validation and awards and a good eval, right? All you have to do is Mm -hmm. check the boxes and do all these good things. Um, 
And if you grew up in a, in a chaotic home where maybe validation and emotional connection and all of that wasn't readily available, suddenly having that for the first time is, um, it's fantastic, you know, like yeah. the, Navy, the Navy's I, been I guess, really good to me and, you know, I'm selling it to yeah, dig I, it I when get, I say it, but I do, I mean, I do love the Navy, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, so do I, but I, I guess the saying it's a feature part, like I, the part that I like, the reason I don't feel that way about it is because like, I think you can objectively measure the, the like level of, um, discord that's created by people not being emotionally regulated and not being able to create like strong, productive teams and, and sub teams within these units and, and if you were doing that, you would have a much more uh, like efficient and lethal fighting force. And so I think the two things are, are genuinely hand in hand and they both like you, they would both benefit uh, from each other. Like you improve the emotional regulation and intelligence of the organization. The organization becomes more capable and lethal. And those are both good things. Like you're taking better care of the people, but you're also, uh, taking better care of the mission, which is in a lot of these people's eyes, the only thing that matters. So it's like, even by that measure, like even by the measure of all we care about is, is killing people and breaking their stuff. It's still in your best interest to have emotionally regulated and intelligent and healthy people comprising the teams that drive the organization. And so that's the part that I get hung up on is like, there, you can't tell me that ships running into super tankers and the suicides and sexual assaults and all of the the indicators that we have these problems are somehow serving that end, like are somehow making us a more lethal fighting force. Like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't those symptoms of an emotionally unregulated and unhealthy person are not making us better. It's distracting us from the things that matter. It's making us like less focused on mission accomplishment. So even if that's all we're going to measure by, we're still doing ourselves harm at an organizational level by not addressing it. I mean, maybe I think it, it, I'm a little jaded and, and viewing things from, <laughs> you know, the war machine perspective, but I, yeah. I really don't think that our, our overall goal is, I mean, I think it should be taking care of sailors and developing um, healthy, effective teams, but I don't think that's what we look at when we talk about, you know, military budget or building new ships or right. No, whatever. I I agree. I just I'm saying like I I really think it should be, and oh, I've for never sure. seen an I, indication that it is. And I don't think or it, that it, you know like yeah, that they're no, going to. Or, no, and it, it and you know, but we should. We should for sure be, yeah. be looking at the impact that has. And, and maybe that's a conversation that we're not able to have because as a whole, our, you know, culture generation of America isn't, um, isn't emotionally mature, <laughs> you know, generationally looking yeah. at kind of <laughs> what we've, what we've got to deal with is, um, yeah, like I said, looking at, you know, 30, 60 years ago, women in the Navy and, and how culturally they were treated because 30 years ago, women enlisting in the military was, was not culturally accepted either really. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a big mess. Yeah. You're not wrong. 
So, so I spend hours at this. It's like, it's so frustrating and, and genuinely confusing to watch like these types of things happen and just think to, like, cause I don't know. And like, I don't, cause I don't think I'm special. I don't think I have a super unique perspective. I think it's, it feels pretty obvious what the problem is. And so like, like, is it strategic incompetence? Like it, it, did somebody at that level just decide it's easier to ignore this stuff uh, or cheaper or somehow organizationally convenient? Like, I, I don't know, but like, it's very, perplexing to me that somehow some way they haven't come to the realization that not only is this the answer but it would be like and i mean i don't have any like oqe to prove this but like (laughs) it's got to be cheaper it's got to be uh easier long term once you kind of like fix the problems it's got to be like in the best interest of the organization and, and everything for sure yeah for sure. And it's like, I, so that's what I don't, there are so many problems that would just evaporate if the, we realigned uh, our values and our approach in the, in this way to like towards this goal. And well, I and just, looking, it seems so obvious whole, to me. The, um, you know, you, you mentioned it and you did the, um, the interview with um, test depth. I think it was test depth, the meme page. When you talk about how you like, no, that was 69 fathoms. Oh, 69 yeah, fathoms. he's a, the meme page, meme page guy. Yeah. When you, that's how you like keep your thumb on the pulse of the Navy, right? Like I, I get that a lot from Reddit and um, this whole thing in Key West. Yeah. I don't know if you're following, Same. but that's about to blow. Like I'm pretty sure we've got major news the, uh, our, what? Uh, sources looking. Yeah. I know for sure Navy Times for has what? it, but. So has what? Sorry, I missed something. Oh, so key for Key West, for the Key West uh, housing situation. Okay. So, um, oh, they, okay. Yeah, are you are you following that at all? Or I think I've seen something about it where they're like, isn't it something to the effect of they're living in trailers and paying like so obscene amounts of money or something like that? Or they is that something all else? the barracks down? Um, the barracks are condemned. Yeah, and there was okay. a, I guess talks before they close the barracks down like that will put sailors in these mwr trailers and th- so mwr yeah. like even even at pendleton they have these like trailer beach homes that you can rent for a couple of days or a weekend um right there yeah. on the beach and uh, so i'm assuming i mean i haven't been down to key west but i'm assuming that's kind of the same situation where it's these mwr like camper trailers basically where you can cabins you can come down and rent you know stay on the beach for a weekend and then go back but they never finalized the agreement to move to repurpose these mwr trailers for junior sailors and they've hiked the price up or the price has already been hiked up where it it basically is their entire bah plus yeah another couple hundred dollars so they don't have you know your average e3 doesn't make enough to move into these barracks because their base pay plus their paycheck plus their BAS right. doesn't cover rent of this trailer, right. but they have nowhere else to stay because housing in Key West is non-existent. Um, yeah. And they closed the barracks and we're like, well, it sucks to suck. I don't know where you're going to live, but you're not going to live in the barracks. Here's some money, figure it out. And now wow. we have, yeah. So we've got 
like on the first class page, they're posting about how they have junior sailors like living on their couch and like, I can't, I can't have my whole command E3 and below move in with me, but I don't know where else to house them. Um, you know, and they can't afford, even if like three or four of them pull their money together to rent a, you know, MWR trailer on the beach, that's still only like one bed. So how's that supposed to work out? Like, um, so we just, we collectively as an organization completely set up a whole squad of E4 and below who live in the barracks for failure and basically said, sucks to suck the game. And nobody's doing anything. And like how, oh, wow. As far as I can tell. um, In brain dead. Reddit always gets the the good gossip. Yeah. So as far as we can tell on Reddit, nobody's doing anything Yeah, I was going to say that I opened... I opened Reddit just now and it was literally the first thing the first, I saw. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to Google it to, cause it looks like a screenshot of an article and I'm trying to find something on it. Um, but yeah, I had seen, and I, I want to say I was scrolling Facebook cause that's primary, like primarily what I use Facebook for. It's like email with pictures for people I know. And then it's like, I've liked and followed like every single meme account and, uh, Navy official account and like just everything to try to kind of keep track and keep a like an awareness generally of everything that's going on. And I feel like I scrolled past something like that. Um, and I just didn't stop to read it. I don't know why. Um, Cause it just said something about the trailers, but I don't think it properly described like what you just did. We're like, that's, I just, I don't, how does that happen? Like, how does anyone in a leadership position, like you get to a point where the ball gets dropped so many times that you have sailors being like assigned BAH in an area where we know they can't afford to live. And like the solution is some trailers on a beach, but oh, somebody didn't finish the contract or what? Yeah, I mean, like, and I don't know enough to completely go in on this. I'll find out. But like. It's just like, how does that happen? I just, it blows my mind that that's even like below average leadership competence. I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around how that is allowed to happen. That's that's incredible in the worst possible way. Yeah. So the, here we go. I found the article on Reddit. Um, Okay. The... Barracks have it's. Can you can you send it to me? Yeah, basically to rent one of these trailers, it's four thousand dollars a month, but um, the sailors are only getting like two thousand dollars a month BAH. Um. So. That. Yeah. So it's double. The price is double for these trailers. Mm-hmm. Right. So E1 to E4 That's... with no dependence gets $2,364 for Key West. But the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment starts at $3,000. Um, even if you're willing to pay to find the difference, finding an available unit is a challenge, said one sailor who spoke with military.com. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just I like watching, kind of watching this chaos build. Um, oh, you know, it's... Wow. it's we're failing yeah. these sailors on a massive scale. But imagine, so the, and the thing that strikes me about this on like be, beyond how absolutely 
egregious and ridiculous it is that this was allowed to happen by the leadership responsible. But if this is happening, what else is, is getting missed? You know what I mean? Because this is like, it's, when you look at like the meme pages and you look at like Reddit and the type of things that sailors are complaining about and people will like to say like, Oh, you're blowing it out of proportion or it's not as serious as you're making it out to be. You can't house people like you're allowing them to be in financial extremis because like on a large scale across like an entire naval base. And then like, you're going to tell me that like these leave shits aren't taking too long or out. Like it get that's fuck out of here with this bullshit like i don't i i i can't i can't even believe this is real like it's and i've heard other things like in this or like in this vicinity where it's just like jesus like how just Mm -hmm. how it's and right on the wake of the whole gw thing too you know i kind of wonder yeah you know, it just, it doesn't bode well for Yikes. our leadership. No, um, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, uh, wow. And this is just going to keep happening too. Cause like, and not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but like the, it's just going to, now that sailors know that they can, uh, which I guess they already kind of did, but like, this is, I think that the Mick Pond thing blew up on a scale that, I, I can't think of many things that have like it, it affected policy. Cause like, if you think about like the captain Crozier stuff, like everybody, the internet was on fire, but nothing changed. Like everything still happened the same way that it would have otherwise. Right. So, um, but with this, they moved the sa- the sailors were moved off the G dub, like the, within a few days. Yeah. And so I think now that the, you know, Gen Pop has seen that they can make change by uh, blowing stuff up on the Internet. Like, yeah, you're going to see this go super viral and hopefully, you know, it affects change. And it's just like because I've seen it happen. I don't know if you follow a lot of the Air Force leadership, um, but the chief master sergeant of the Air Force, I, I think her name's Joanne Bass. Um she's really active on social media and she'll get tagged and stuff by junior airmen and like take action. Like she'll look into it. And like, if it's, if it presents as something that's really bad, like, like this, for instance, she gets involved immediately and says, somebody go look into this and brief me. And then she like put like puts pressure on people and like puts resources in places and makes change. And so it's just like, I mean, it'd be nice to see a similar approach in the other services because she goes in like I see it a bunch where she's she's going out of her way to like not just she's not just flying around the Air Force like glad handing like she's making an effort to make things better for airmen all the time. And it's like it's pretty cool. So I I wonder why our senior leadership has not been as engaged on social media as I don't know if, if like, because I know they used to do the digital all hands calls where Mick Pond would, you know, like field questions. And I don't know if that was just like too much yeah. or if, um, I don't know. you know, the, the Reddit moderator team reached out and invited him and his PAO team to do a, an AMA on Reddit. And I'm, I'm like, we are for sure that he was going to say absolutely not. Um, 
but we, I mean, we received a, a very polite response, but, um, you know, we'll look into it. Uh, so, um, but we, yeah, you know, we, yeah. we, we don't want to create a hostile, you know, down with the big pond. That's not our goal at all. And, and honestly, like the whole thing with the G-Dub was um, we were kind of freaking out because we were like, this is about to get real bad, real fast. Um, and then, you know, yeah, we got a hold of the audio and it was like, oh man, he didn't say that at all. Um, was it, no adding value no but it was completely misconstrued no. and now our platform looks real bad you know like now when any mcpon yeah. gets reddit they're gonna be like oh god right like my career's about to end yep yep <laughs> well um, that's what i got out like when i did the episode i got some flack from a handful of people on reddit for um defending, defending yeah. him and i'm like I wasn't defending how tone deaf it was and how it didn't even come close to meeting the mark of what those sailors needed from their leadership. But at the same time, that's not what he said. Like, and it's unfair to characterize him the way that they did because that's not what he said. And I don't think he intended it the way that it was interpreted, but he also is responsible for putting that out there that way because I 100% understand why it was interpreted that way. And so it's like it's it's this dichotomy, you know, where and I talked to my CMC about it and like his exact words were, yeah, it was tone deaf. And yeah, his his team failed him for not make like not understanding like, look, they don't need this. They don't need a defense of a bunch of policies or an explanation of this kind of crap. What they needed was like empathy. What they needed was him walking around, like going into shops and talking to work centers and spending some time with the first classes and spending some time with the chiefs. Like, I don't even know that an all hands call was productive at all. Like, just go walk around and hang out amongst them. What can we do? What do you need? Like, how can I help? Like, or just be there and listen and just create that like, like relationship there where it's like, hey, like I'm here because I care and I just want to talk and not with a, a entourage, just you and like maybe one other person like, and just go sit down and talk to people. And it's like, yeah. I think well, him that, spending that the entire day doing to, that would have been a lot more productive to, you know, emotional connection and creating safety and trust and having yeah. authentic human connection. And that's, that's, um, you know, that is what those sailors needed, especially when they're in such a crisis where, you know, they're having a rash of suicides. Like that's not, Right. At that point, you know, the whole crew, I, I think, is in crisis. They There needs to be, I agree. Um, you know, medical intervention or something that just just to take the pulse of, of you know, kind of everybody. Is everybody OK here? What's going on? Um, yeah. So, you know, like when when the Fitzgerald um, and the McCain crash out in McCain. Japan, like they, yeah. they flew out yeah. a crisis mental health response team. Um, and right. the sailors, I, because I was out there when, when it happened, um, the sailors I spoke yeah. with said that it, it was helpful to have somebody, yeah, you know, j- just to like check on them because I mean, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other traumatic. Yeah. That's a whole other yeah. level. Yeah. But I mean, it's similar though. Like, I mean, there's, there's definitely like, there's a, a lot of parallels I would think because there's the trauma of like they lost a bunch of people all at once, but it's like the G dubs lost a bunch of people like it over. It's been a, over a drawn out period of time, but I can't imagine it's not affecting large swaths of the crew and in, in like a similar way. And there's like, 
you, there's the trauma of going through that event where the ship collides and it's like, you know, everybody's fearing for their life at that point, you know, and and but at the same time, like they're the stress of what's happening environmentally on the G-Dub is like that's cr- obviously creating some kind of of crisis amongst the population on that ship. So it's like there's a lot of parallels, even though I, it's like, yeah, it's more drawn out and it's more. Um, like it's it's kind of different but there's a lot of similarities you know and it's like that's i feel like that's the type of attention it should be getting and i think you know i don't know if if the the level of sensitivity to it's going to continue after they move the sailors off the ship but yeah like i feel like if you have three in one week period i feel like that you're flying that crisis team out and you're doing kind of having the same response but then to have all those other ones over a year yeah, that's that's like a documented you know thing. Suicide clusters are are a real right. phenomenon. So having just because we've had three in in a week and we haven't had more doesn't mean that it's not coming. You know, so for sure we right right we're failing the crew there. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's. And and yeah, you know we we've I, talked you've you've mentioned before about how like when you're in the yards you can see like the soul gets sucked out of sailors as they walk through the turnstile. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was on a floating yeah. dry dock. Like I, I saw that we had, we had one unit where um, a sailor tried to jump off of the 42 or 52 foot wing wall into the basin. Um, and then like within oh, a God. week, there were like three or four more sailors from that crew that got um, kind of yanked off and um, sent over to, to embed and, and that's something I think the yeah. suffering community does so well, the embed medical. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know why we don't have that more widespread throughout the fleet. Um, that's, that's yeah. a really awesome resource. I, yeah, I agree. There's definitely been some cases where, um, and I, I mean, it's a human organization. So like inevitably, even within the mental health apparatus, you're going to get somebody that, isn't doing it right but like there's there's been some reports and i i want to say the um pearl harbor naval shipyard incident there was some kind of like it was either and don't quote me on this i'd have to look it up but there was somewhere along the way where it was like he interacted with mental health professionals a bunch of times and it doesn't it didn't seem like he got the type of attention he needed so it's still like whether or not you know that's just human error because the resources are overwhelmed because i can tell you like within the submarine force it's just like everywhere else where the embedded mental health folks i'm aware of you know like i universally beloved for what they do but also like they're run ragged too like they're they're constantly engaged with sailors like they're constantly behind undermanned like because the demand is so high because it is an incredible service and because people need it and they're utilizing it um so yeah i I, like i agree like i was really excited because i went to a brief i mean it would have been like four years ago now um where the embedded mental health folks came out and kind of brought all the senior leadership into a room and briefed us on like um you know what they're about what what's available like what the resources how to use it stuff like that and um because they wanted us to use it and i don't think they were ready for (laughs) how utilized it was going to (laughs) be Yeah, because it's, you know, like there's a huge demand. Yeah, there is. There is. Even even just 
like when I tried to get some mental health um, help when I was in San Diego, um, they told me it was going to be a, a 90 to 120 day wait and to please go out in town and find a civilian um, that could see you. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. I did, and that, that was a pretty painless process, but um, trying to like break down the Navy structure and how things operate to um to my psychologist was um not easy like i I finally was like look the navy even dictates like what type of underwear you wear like if you miss a medical appointment you can get (laughs) in trouble for it like you can you can go to jail if you miss dental like i don't i don't know how else to explain to you the level of control that the (laughs) navy has over your life so yes i'm i'm exhibiting certain um, anxious behaviors because <laughs> the Navy's created that, it, yeah. you know, like, oh, I've got a medical appointment at 1300. So that means I need to like get ready to leave right after quarters because I can't be late, you know, like <laughs> back it up yeah. six hours to, to get to medical on time. I got to get off the boat and I got to drive across the base and I got to find parking. Yep. And, um, you know, I don't think <laughs> civilians have that level of like, Oh God, I'm going to be late anxiety. Like, I think that's just a Navy the navy's creating yeah. that in me <laughs> and i wonder i wonder how much of it could be learned by like if we just outsourced a lot of it but it was more contracting than like just going to any random provider out in town that may or may not have dealt with military people before because like a psychologist that's in the navy like i unless they were on a ship which i guess happens i don't know if junior junior officers do it cuz i think it's a pretty senior position on like a carrier i would think but like I don't know. I'm, I'm sure some of them have some level of like shipboard experience, but for the most part, I feel like most of them they're trained in psychology and then they put a uniform on and they go to a naval hospital and then they acquire all the vernacular just by doing psychology things with service members. So it's like you would think the same could be applied to a civilian that is just contracted to work in that environment so that that would like rapidly multiply our, our, like mental health capacity if you're just because it's not like you don't need to deploy 99 percent of the resources like most of them like it'd be nice if we had a psychologist on board a submarine but like we don't and i mean on carriers i know they have some resources but it doesn't sound like they have enough but other like outside of that it's like the shore-based resources it's like i feel like you can like like increase the scale of of like scale up the resources just exponentially um unless and i may i don't know maybe there's a shortage in civilian resources as well which is kind of what the mick pond was alluding to when he got that question was like there's just not enough people like there's not enough professionals to hire and well hire. when well, when fair. we found if, it, if it's true when we found our therapist um because actually we ended up mm-hmm. going initially for my son, um, we'd moved from Japan to the States within like a two month window, my husband deployed and then my parents moved in, um, which is really unhealthy dynamic in and of itself. Um, but that, all of that chaos turned his little three and a half, four year old world upside down. And he was exhibiting like depressive symptoms as a four year old. Um, so to find a psychologist that would see him, um, there were two, in the area in like the greater San Diego area that were like licensed to see a child under the age of 10 children. And, um, I had, I was on a wait list and I got in and, um, 
you know, initially she was like, so what they don't tell you when you take your kid to therapy is that you as the parent also get to go to therapy. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I don't need to go to therapy. Uh, We're good. Uh, uh, (laughs) And what had happened was, um, yeah, about like six sessions in, I'm like, oh God, I need, like we have peeled the onion back. We (laughs) <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Yep. So it, it was. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But like, I I went in to oh, therapy yeah. for my kid and realized that I had a lot of unhealthy thinking and process and emotional maturity yeah. to like really quickly try to develop um, so that I could help him through this, you know, emotional state of crisis that he was in. Um, we're all fine now. He's, he's great. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was yeah. a really kind of scary Good. six months. Like he would, he would like take a blanket and crawl behind the couch and say like, I need some alone time. And he would just sit there for hours. And I'm like, that's yeah. not normal. Like something's wrong with my baby. Um, he would yeah. throw up if I put food in front of him, like he didn't want to eat. Um, and he was just like shutting oh, wow. down at, you know, at the age of four. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I got him into therapy and I learned how to, they do, they do at that age, it's like play therapy. So I learned to like really connect with yeah. him emotionally and, um, you know, that, and that goes back to, you know, authentic human connection and emotional connection and emotional awareness and maturity and all of that. And as soon as he felt safe again, because he didn't, he didn't feel safe. He was in a new environment. His dad was gone. And prior to that, right. Yeah. Like his, I was the one on sea duty. Um, so I was the one while his dad was on shore duties, I was the one that was gone all the time. So he was with a parent that he didn't, you know, connect with very well. Um, Then dad deployed and then my parents moved in and, you know, already alluded to their um, issues. So, (laughs) you know, it was just, it was, he suddenly didn't feel safe in his own home. Um, And, you know, helping, helping redevelop that connection was, um, you know, I had to, I had to go, find a professional to teach me how to do it. Cause I didn't know how to do it. Um, and then that's given me kind of this right. new foundation for when I look at, you know, interactions with my sailors, it's like, Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm not creating safety and trust and, and an environment where you can be vulnerable or where I can be vulnerable with you. Then, um, you know, how is that even effective? Leadership? Yeah. And, it, and it's not. So, and imagine like, and I know it's probably like it's I'm sure it's like a pie in the sky, like pipe dream. But imagine if there was like this type of like like therapy, like uh, emotional intelligence type training where like a social worker or like a psychologist is like spending time. You know how chaps rolls through and like, hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? Like if like a psychologist rolls through and it's like your job is to literally walk around the submarine or walk around the ship and just engage with people um, or like hang out on the mess decks and talk to people. And then they know they can come talk to you when they need it to have those types of conversations and over a period of time, build that type of emotional intelligence into you. Because like, like you're saying like, okay, I learned this from this other source. And if you hadn't had, like your if your son hadn't had issues that then led to you getting therapy, like you wouldn't have the same tools that you do now. No. Like, and no. I'd venture to guess you were a pretty emotionally intelligent human being before that, but like you gained a whole bunch of new tools that you're now applying to your sailors and being a more competent leader as a result. And it's like, uh, imagine how many problems would just find themselves extinct if like you had constant access. If that was just like a cultural norm where there's like 
like mental health professionals of some kind, just those types of resources that are like providing educational and, and training material via like maybe they're on the Mestex doing a GMT or maybe they're um, just providing other resources or making themselves available to sailors all the time. Like, and again, I understand how, how ridiculous it probably sounds to somebody that's like counting beans in Millington, but like, God, it would be cool if there was like a mechanism of some kind and like maybe there's a way to do it where, you know, it doesn't cost a billion dollars a year, but well, it would definitely be really fun. The the rash of suicides that we're seeing, the sexual harassment, sexual assault cases, you know, it would it would be a completely different work environment and dynamic. And, you know, like I said earlier, is we're when you deploy with somebody, I mean, you're you're living with them. They you're eating right. meals, sleeping next to each other, working out like you, you are yeah. connected in a way that you are not even with your own family members, sometimes not yeah. the same level of connection that you have with, um, you know, the crew underway. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's definitely like, and it's like a bond mate, like, forged through like ad, like shared adversity it's, like you yes, shared like suffering bonding. and it's like <laughs> yeah and it's it well and it's but it, that's real and it's like that's like a it's hard I, i've tried to explain i've lost friendships um with civilians throughout like my time in the military because i was in the military and i couldn't like maintain the the normal understanding of like what a friendship is by staying in touch and visiting and all the like the interactions that are kind of required to make someone feel like you care about them but then with like veterans with like people that i've served with even if they've been out for a long period of time it's like i can go years without talking to them and as soon as i see them there's no explanation necessary like we're just like i'm bear hugging them like so excited to see them and then we start catching up and we pick up right where we left off. And it's just like, I don't, it's hard to explain that dynamic to normal people unless you've gone through that, a similar thing with them and you have that same kind of a bond and it's really like strange and unique and, and um, the depth of like meaning in the relationship is a whole it's just a whole different thing like it just is and and you're right like outside of of going through a similar experience with family members it's like in in a way you feel closer to these people than you do to certain family members sometimes depending on like the relationship and stuff and it's like it's bizarre but it's kind of awesome too (laughs) like because i mean like my best friend is he was a nuke mechanic in my first submarine he's been out of the Navy for like 16, 17 years. Um, and it's like the same, it's like that same kind of a thing. It's like, I, I mean, we talk pretty frequently now we weren't great about it before, but it was like, I'd see him. And I mean, I hadn't seen him in real life. He came to the wedding. I I hadn't seen him in real life in years. And it was just like, you know, like we picked up right where we left off and it was, it was amazing. And it, it always is. And it's the same with it. it's like this unspoken thing because I never we never talk about it, but you never have any of those people getting salty that you're not like texting them or calling them or or visiting them or whatever. And 
And I've lost like what I what I thought would be like lifelong friendships with people that I, I grew up with and I was really close with. And um, but they didn't get it like they just didn't understand that I could go two years without seeing them and, and just sporadically talking to them. Uh, and still like I for me, it's like, oh, yeah, we're still friends. Right. And then like I had this weird experience where I. Uh, I was driving cross country when I was going to my second shore duty in Virginia and I stopped in Atlanta to visit my best friend growing up. And uh, we met up at a Buffalo Wild Wings to watch football and, and just hang out and catch up. And she started talking to me about her wedding that was about to happen in Michigan. And I wasn't invited. And like, she didn't say I wasn't invited. She just was sitting there talking to me about her wedding that was happening next weekend. And I'm sitting there in my mind thinking like, this is weird. Like, cause this is like a person who I would have like considered so close to me. They would have been in my wedding party and vice versa. So like, and she's just like talking to me about this wedding she's having and like how all this is going on and in Michigan and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you not think it's weird that we're having this conversation? And like, I'm not even invited to your wedding. And then like, or are you doing it on purpose because you're like punishing me or something? It was really bizarre. And it made it clarified that like concept for me a lot where it's like, oh, this is just different. Like civilians just. Yeah. If you don't have that like day-to-day perceive this, then you're not um, yeah. contributing to the relationship, which which makes military. I think that's one of the reasons military marriages are at a higher divorce rate. Um than civilians because you, you do deploy and you're that daily yeah. like going shopping together and meal prep and cleaning and all the stuff that you do yeah. together contributes to the relationship and then when you're gone for six months nine months a year you know that you're not in the relationship you know you have to work really hard to yeah. keep that relationship going through the distance and lack of communication so yeah, I don't know. Right. It's, it's um, weird, different the way we. Yeah, it. no, it's definitely strange. Um, anything else on this giant l- syllabus you sent me? You want to get to or? <laughs> we kind of hit it all. Um, yep. Okay. Back yeah, to I was gonna say code. we can always do it again. Yeah, um, yeah, we can always no. do it again. I you I, you don't seem like somebody I'm gonna run out of things to talk about with. So. Uh, oh, we didn't really talk like, about uh, coercive control, but I guess that's that's really neither. That that could be a conversation for a later date, I guess. Yeah, um, we can we can totally do it again because then I'll have time to process all this material. Because <laughs> like you gave me like a freaking college course, like I'm sorry. like, oh yeah, no, I'll totally review that in two days. Like I didn't even try. I looked at it and I was just like, I've read some of this, and then I started watching the one YouTube video this morning. But I was just like, yeah. Well, she's she's um, you did Sarah it. Ahmed really is. I think it it keys onto so many significant issues we have um, with mm-hmm. you know raising complaints and we get silenced. Um, you know, like the Vanessa. Yeah. Uh, I always mess up her last name. Gillen, Gillian, whatever the, the uh, army sergeant. Th- yeah, I think it's Guillen. Yeah. Guillen. Yeah, she. Um, I think it's Guillen. That's how I've always read it. I don't know. I'm not I, I have. So sure. I. This was one of those like I only ever saw it on Reddit. I never heard any news reports or like you know CNN or yeah. Whatever. I read everything um, I, I processed yeah. on it. I read. Yeah. Well, she. I mean, like she complained repeatedly about this behavior and this mistreatment that she was experiencing. Yeah. And she was silenced over and over again, and then it resulted in tragedy. 
uh, not that the whole thing wasn't yeah. a tragedy, but, um, you know, we, right. We don't as an organization handle when individuals make complaints very well. So, um, you know, when you, yeah. And that's something I feel like problem, I want to process. Yeah. I want to process a lot of her material and then I kind of want to spend like a whole episode on this. Cause I think, I think that topic like we touched on it a little bit but i think that topic is really important and it's like i'll probably process a lot of her material and then even look at some of our processes and just make sure that i'm up on like so like eo complaints um sex sapper complaints that kind of like those types of processes even like grievances and um stuff like that i talked to people a lot about the new um like you know said earlier the all nav that came out where it takes the investigative um, authority yeah, out from yeah. under the captain. Like I, I really honestly think it shouldn't even be in our own realm of right. You think like you know? NCIS maybe like just complete like where they're detached and it's like is it still sort of affiliated? Yes, but like it's a law enforcement agency that we have under the DOD and like Department of the Navy. It's like why aren't we using it for stuff like that? Like, we might flood them not, if we say, "Hey, you need to." Well, that's fair. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Are they big enough? Like, do they have the resources? I don't know, but like, also, I feel like this is a thing we could outsource to what I perceive to be a competent law enforcement agency. Um. And it's like, that's what they do. They're professionals at this. So like, why wouldn't we let them do? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like yeah. that's well, and, and it goes all the way back the to move. how do we change and influence the culture um, Navy wide? And, and how do we fix that? How do we fix the sexual assault, sexual harassment culture? Um, and yeah. I don't I don't know how to fix that. You know, it makes me sad that there's still sailors yeah. telling me that, you know, their leadership is sexually harassing or assaulting them um, when right. I thought those sorts of issues were well, dealt with when I was a junior sailor, you know, like I thought we fixed that in 2005, you know, but no, it's, it's yeah. still a problem. Well, and so that's something that I could probably, it, it may be its own episode. It may be the complaint episode, but like my, I wrote down earlier when you were talking um, about the complaint stuff, my, my other best friend, <laughs> Joe, he's a, he's a chief in the Navy and, uh, his wife is, um, a social worker. She has a PhD in social work and has worked, uh, primarily in like military roles in like the Sapper and Sharp programs. Um, I know she worked with the Sharp program in Hawaii for a long time. Um, and so, like, I'm probably going to bug her and be like, hey, you want to come on a podcast and talk about it? Because she's an expert. Um, and so I think she'd have a lot of really great insight on that, that like aspect of it and would be able to talk about it in a way that I'm just not equipped for at all. Um, and I think that would be really fun. Um, that would so be a really excellent her, episode. Too. You know, and yeah, you know, I think I'm that would be really the, fun. As you say, the end, the end user of the the leadership here. So I'm not, you know, it's really easy yeah. for me to point out and say like, well, this is where my leadership failed me. But on the flip side of that, as you know, the HT one, how do I, how do I step up and fix that leadership deficiency? Um, and that's something I don't know. Right, I, I've really been cogitating too, on how do I fix the culture? Um, and like I said, I watched, yeah, I watched my chain I, come in and, and single-handedly fix a command culture um, or at least get it trending in the yeah. right direction. But how do I do that? with my team, with my department, with my ship. Um, yeah. How do I have that kind of, well, impact? and that's 
all those questions and your ability to ask questions, I think would just be way better than mine in this arena because you've experienced a lot of this stuff or been like whether it's you personally or people you've known in a way that I have never like, I mean, outside of the stuff we talked about at the beginning where I was getting humped and groped and stuff, but like, I don't like, I think she would be able to answer those questions in a way that like I can't, but also like, I think I would want you on there as well because you'd be asking way more intelligent questions than I will be. I think so. Let's Um, do it. I think that could be dope, but. Cool. Well, yeah, I'll bug her. Um, I can't imagine she would say no because she's my BFF. So uh, she'll uh, <laughs> she'll get it. Joe's probably going to listen to this and pl- play it for her. <laughs> be like, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm sure she'd be down. So I'll just have to figure out the logistics of it. But let's wrap this thing up. Um, I appreciate your time. We've been trying to do this forever. We um, have, yeah. And it, what the, the whole time <laughs> difference and all that other stuff. Tom foolery didn't help, but I appreciate you uh, taking the time. This was awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. We'll see how many people use their fleet temps for um, not I have to stalk purposes. you. <laughs> <laughs> Leave her alone. But yeah, no, it'll be fine. They can right. engage with you on Reddit at the there the, you go <laughs> um, in all the uh, in our navy. But all right, here we go. <laughs> All right. I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, I had, <laughs> I had a great time if it wasn't super obvious. Um, we've like, we, I enjoy talking to, uh, HT one quite a bit and, uh, it's, I, I got, I learned a lot. Like I got a lot of perspective on certain things. It, it's a perspective that I don't have because I've never experienced it. I I've had conversations about it. Um, but have been, like, I mean, kind of removed from it. Like I served on a submarine with female officers, but and at the very end we had female enlisted come on a deployment, but like, I haven't, I hadn't really had to deal with a lot of those types of issues that she was describing having experienced throughout her career. Um, and I thought it was really interesting, not just, uh, her describing her experiences, but also she's very well read, very insightful, uh, and has a lot of really great perspective on a lot of things. And the complaint thing is something that, uh, we even talked about. I have a friend who's, um, a social worker that is like a doctor of social work that, um, has a lot of experience working in like military, uh, sexual assault programs and stuff like that, that I think I'm going to drag on to kind of dive deeper into that concept. Uh, and I'll, most likely drag HT one on as well, um, for that one. And I I think there's a lot of great conversations to be had in that arena as well. Um, but I really liked that idea. I'm going to get that, um, get through a lot of, uh, the, that person's material on the complaint concept. I got partway through some of the lectures, but she sent me such a huge reading list that I haven't been able to digest it all quite yet. Um, but with that, as always, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You could Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit or discord at D podcast. If you want to support us, there's a donate button on the website, D podcast.com. Uh, that just helps pay all the bills and support all the expenses of keeping the podcast running. And then, uh, on the for profit side of the house, if you want to support us, go to don't give up the ship apparel, D apparel.com, uh, get you some Naval pride and heritage gear. You'll actually wear in public. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that. And I hope you guys enjoy that as well. Um, and then yeah, Patreon's inbound soon, uh, and, uh, more exciting content and that's it. (laughs) That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship.